0: The following is a HoopBall presentation.
1: What's going on, party people? My name is Stephen Bagel, and I am the host of HoopBall's very own Bird Rights podcast. For those of you who don't know, um, Bird Rights is a relatively new podcast on the HoopBall network where we get into the front office aspect of things, as opposed to fancy basketball gambling. We're trying to give you some variety, and give you a different aspect of the league in general. So with me today is Hoopball's very own Corbin Ford from the Roundball Ramble podcast, as well as a co-host of Duncan Dynasty. Corbin, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing great, man. I really appreciate being on here. Love the the, the idea of the show. Love the early parts of listening to this. I, I'm, I'm pumped, man. I'm excited. Good. I'm
1: excited as well. And for those of you listening at home, Corbin and I are actually going to be recording on Roundball Ramble as well to you know, talk about some more in-depth moves um, from the front office aspect of it. So make sure you listen to this, make sure you listen to that. And without further ado, let's get started. Kyrie and James Harden going to sign their extensions. His trade value is not there. of his $33 million salary. I know about people that have certain clauses what in their contracts. What happens next year with Giannis He will be eligible for a Supermax next summer. If he resigns a new reality, the players
0: are going to move around. Players are, are, are not going to want to spend their whole you know life. And because they didn't want to go into the penalty of the luxury tax, they traded James Harden. Somebody's going to be making $50 dollars year. A
1: home. He probably could have made a little bit more money this summer in free I agency. I could have got a
0: lot more in the off season. You got a chance to secure the bag. You you Jay, man. No question.
1: Okay, so today we are going to be talking about basically retired and ranked NBA front offices. So I have my list, Corbin has his list. We actually haven't discussed our list at all. So this is all a surprise to us where we have everyone. So Corbin, how many tiers did you end up having?
0: So I have three kind of general tiers. I have like the the best of of the of the front of, fr- of the front offices. I kinda have of that middle of the pack that have made like some moves forward and some moves back and then I have the bottom ten. Um and that's literally just separated by ten in terms of what they have done to either set themselves up for success or failure, whether that is a clear outline for the future or just an inability to properly re, like, reassess the franchise direction. So the, basically three general big tiers separated 30 to one.
1: Okay. And then my other question is, did you just do like the front offices in general? Because like, for example, the Boston Celtics guy with the Danny Ainge is now they have Brad Stevens. So are you judging it just based on what, Brad Stevens did, or just recent moves in general, even under Danny Ainge, given, mm -hmm. you know, Danny Ainge drafted Tatum and Brown and everything like
0: that? That is a good question. Okay, so I did more of the last, like, two years, two, three years in synopsis, only because, like, teams like, for example, the Lakers, teams like the Nets, like, teams who have just recently came in a new direction. I took those moves that were made. So, Boston, yeah, we're basically looking at what was done this year, um, what was done last year and kind of the year before that. Um, so basically three years is kind of the window I use for, for for a majority of these teams.
1: Okay, that's fine. Just, again, just to give the listeners a perspective of, of our thought process behind this. Of course. So, okay, um, I guess we'll start, I have seven tiers, actually. So... well I like. We'll start from 30 to one. I guess instead of more tiers, I'll just rattle off my 20, my 29, my 30, because I have three guys in tier seven. And then you can, you know, look at your list and tell me where you have them. Okay. So... My number 30, I put the Washington Wizards, led by Tommy Shepard. The 29th, I put the Minnesota Timberwolves, who obviously they just recently got rid of uh, Gerson Rosas. Now, Sokjin Gupta is the head there. And the 20th, I put the Cleveland Cavaliers, led by Colby Aldman. Wow. So, So, where did you have most of those teams?
0: So, it's funny, because I have those teams in the same kind of general tier, all toward the bottom, with the exception of the Wizards. I gave the Wizards a big, and we'll talk with them when, whenever you're ready. I gave the Wizards a, a big, um, boost up just because of the major move that Tommy Shepard did in trading Russell Westbrook and, and making a better, um, team construction with the return that he got back. So I was definitely high on that. Um, especially being that they're kind of in a, stuck in a holding pattern with Bradley Beal and how to build around him. So, I just given the optics of where they are and the move that they just did and the success they're having now, I did bump them up a little bit. I do have the other two teams you mentioned in that same general bottom tier, although not in that order. So, um I, I guess I'll just drop my first, like, three. Um I have the New Orleans Pelicans, number 30, with David Griffin. I have the Cleveland Cavaliers, like you have, kind of right in there. And then I actually have the Orlando Magic.
1: Okay, I actually have the Magic pretty high, so that's our first big discrepancy. Oh, okay. You, as we just talked about, you, you know, focus on the last three years of what the front office has done. The Orlando Magic, obviously, now ran by um, John Hammond. He drafted Giannis, and when he was in Milwaukee, he traded for Chris Middleton in the Brandon Jennings trade. So I guess that's why I rank him higher, because I know what he's capable of as an executive. Okay. as opposed to look – but even so, I do like what Orlando's done the past few years. You know, we're drafting Jalen Suggs or Franz Wagner, and again, we'll get into them. But, okay, let's start with the Wizards then. The Wizards, I – you know, I think – I don't disagree with you because I think at this point, I know they signed and traded for Spencer Dinwiddie, and at this point, I don't think Dinwiddie is that big of a downgrade to Russell Westbrook at this point. And mm-hmm. then, you know, they added KCP and Montress Harrell and, um, and Kuzma from the Lakers in the West Coast trade. And they look significantly better than they ever have. They're one of the deeper teams in the East now, especially when Rui Hachimura comes back and they ship Kuzma to the bench. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I just feel like the Wizards, even back when they had Bradley Beal and John Wall, they needed to rebuild for so long, and he just refuses to do that. He'd just rather be a middle-of-the-packs, eighth-seed, playing tournament-type team, and continue to get that, rather than, you know, trade Beal, trade Wall before, you know, trade value, completely plummeted, which they still got Westbrook for him, so they still got a decent return, but, I don't know, it's just, you saw the max out Otto Porter, and maybe I'm going back a little bit too far at this point, but he just refuses, and again, I know Bradley Beal is a great player, but he's not a generational talent to the point where he should prevent you from rebuilding either, so, again, this might be being you know, a Sixth fan in me. I was a huge advocate for the process, and a lot of people who aren't six fans say, oh, the process failed because they haven't won anything. They haven't been out of the second round of the playoffs. But the whole point of blowing it up is to get star talents to get you at the top of the standings and give you a shot at the championship rather than keep, you know, fighting for six, seven, and eight seeds. And that's what the Wizards have done for so long. So I think that's why I was so hard on the Wizards front office.
0: No, that makes perfect sense. I get that especially when you go back like like you said a little bit as far as you did in terms of the friend the roster they did have kind of built around John Wall and Bradley Beal not moving on from Beal um until I mean not moving on from Wall to was a little too late. Um the way they did end up eventually getting rid of him, um Otto Porter as well. I I look more to the position they're in now because yes bottoming out definitely does um Sound appealing for a team that's kinda of stuck in mediocrity, um, like the Wizards have been. At the same time, you know, you have a guy in Bradley Beale who's at least a top fifteen NBA player, um, in yeah. his prime. And those don't grow on trees. I mean, theoretically, even if you were to bottom out to get a player as good as Bradley Beale is right now, um, I don't know. it's it, it, the blueprint is there, but especially with the flight and lottery odds and everything, it's a lot more of a of a of a dart, a shot in the dark. Um, in terms of doing that, like that proper real rebuild, especially when you have a guy who wants to be in Washington, like Bradley Beal has said. So it's like, okay, how best can we build around him? Like you mentioned, you you made the move for – Russell Westbrook, but unfortunately, with the amount of money you had brought back in, you did have some good uh, draft picks Rihat Rihachimura and Denny Avija Avija, Avija. Avija, I always mess that up. But, <laughs> like, they aren't ready yet in that way, and they didn't really have enough money to bring anyone else as a major impact guy, you know? Then you move Russell Westbrook, and you bring in some talented players who better fit um, team construction-wise. Remember, last season, Washington played a lot of Russell Westbrook Bradley Beal, and then, like, one other point guard and two bigs. Like, there was, like, not really any, like, a decent three to be found. Davis Bertans is more of a four. He had to play more of a three. It was definitely a little bit more of a wonky roster. Now you have a little bit more of a proper fit in terms of having guys who have won before in Contavious Call of Hope, in Kyle Kuzma. You have a very reliable, um, productive big in Montrezl Harrell. Like, yes, they're not winning the championship in the East, but, like, you know, I mean, outside of a few teams, like, <laughs> no one is, you know, and I think that they put themselves at least in a better position to contend for a deep playoff spot, Um, and I guess that's where I come from, from your angle. I do agree that, listen, you know, where they are right now, they're not winning that. If that's the name of the game for the Wizards, then yes, they should make moves to just start over and try to better con- contend, but Bradley Beal wants to stay in Washington. I feel like it, that he wants to win. He wants to be in Washington. He is, like I said, a marquee player. He's going to put, you know, butts in seats, and... If you can put a winning product around him, I think, what, the third in the East right now? Like, that's not the worst thing, you know? So, at least for now, I like that. And, honestly, if that move had not been done, I would have been a little bit lower on the Wizards. But I think in one, like, fell swoop, Shepard managed to replenish some depth and come up with a better natural order for the Wizards that they haven't had in a couple of years now.
1: Yeah, and that's fair. But, again, Bradley Beal was a free agent this summer, and we didn't even touch on that. So, he says mm-hmm. he was either if he would have... Yes. The odds are, if you were to leave, they'll go to a sign-in trade, given that there's only three teams this summer in, I believe it's OKC Orlando and San Antonio, the only three teams Mm -hmm. in that space, so odds are it would be a sign-in trade, and probably the biggest haul in a sign-in trade we've ever seen. But um,
0: (laughs) Yeah, we're pretty wild.
1: You know how they handle history agency before... Until then. So, okay. 29, as I said, I have Minnesota. Minnesota, you know, since Rosas left, they haven't really done much. They... Mm -hmm. Even Rosas is the one who hired Chris Finch. So I really didn't know where to appropriately rank them, given, you know, Sachin Gupta is brand new at the job. And Sachin Gupta, for you guys who don't know, he's one of my heroes because he started the NBA trade machine on ESPN.
0: Yep. Shout he's, out to that.
1: Yeah, he's a very smart, analytical-driven guy. He helped with a lot of the trades. He helped Sam Hankey oversee the process. But again... Minnesota just reminds me of what the Pelicans did with Anthony Davis before we requested out in the aspect of they kept trading their picks to try to get a little bit better around the margins and it never worked and AD ended up requesting out as a result. And it wouldn't shock me if Paul Anthony Townsend did the same thing. Like, they traded Andrew Wiggins and what ended up being, I think, the seventh pick in the draft to get D'Angelo Russell. I don't think D'Angelo Russell is that big of an upgrade to Wiggins to, you know, warrant giving up the seventh pick in the draft. Again, Anthony Edwards looks way better than I thought he was going to be. But they could have had LaMelo Ball. And I think LaMelo Ball is definitely, you know, an upgrade to Anthony Edwards. So it's just a lot of questionable things. They traded the 11th pick and Dario Sarge a few years ago for the 6th pick to take Jared Culver, who they just salary dumped. So Minnesota, I just think cat the writing could be on the wall, even though Dan Russell is one of his best friends. And I think that's why a lot of people are speculating they might be the favorites to get Ben Simmons because – a lot of people are worried that cash is going to one out sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm.
0: No, that makes sense. And again, you made some excellent points, uh, specifically the Jerry Culver move, which I wasn't really high on at the time and obviously didn't bear itself out to be anything fruitful. Um, at the same time, I, a lot of it I looked at with the departure of Rosas as not holding against the Wolves organization as a whole, um, especially Gupta in the picture. I do think that I was definitely high on Anthony Edwards. I think that you're right. Lamella Ball would have been a much better fit. But the Wolves had already made the move to bring D'Angelo Russell in, presumably at the request of Carnival Town, Towns, so they're trying to placate. So I feel like one move kind of, you know, was done and necessitated the other move. So the addition of Russell obviously meant that you weren't bringing Lamelo, who would definitely challenge Russell for that starting point guard spot, or at least move Russell to the off guard spot. You know, he wants to play the one, so it was definitely would have been an awkward fit there, at least under the window of keeping D'Angelo, which I'm assuming, of course, the Wolves would have done, because of course, you know. Carnegie Towns wants him. So I feel like that move being aside with more politics in terms of friendships than like tangible basketball moves. And yes, I should definitely knock the Wolves for that. Um and I I if 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 the Pelicans weren't so bad in my opinion, I really would put them uh more in that area. However, I do like the addition of Edwards. I think that you have a clear guy who next to, you know, um Lamella Ball is probably one of the best guys as a franchise guy in the last two drafts, in my opinion. Um definitely how what he can become. You still have a guy in Crown League Towns who is one of the most offensively gifted centers in the NBA. You know, D'Angelo Russell at best is a starting point guard, you know. Um I, I'm not I'm I was higher on him before. I think that his flaws are definitely um pretty big, you know. The ones that he does have on the defense an inability to kinda of get into the lane. But he is a good shooter. He is someone that like I mean, the Wolves haven't had him for the last couple of games this season. They definitely miss his presence. So I kinda of feel like they're stuck in that whole Classic Wolves franchise instability, but I do like the fact that if I look at the core of Cronthian Towns, Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell, um, if you want to add, um, Jaden McDaniels in there. Yeah, I put Malik Beasley. I, mean, I didn't put Malik Beasley's because I feel like he would most definitely be a piece that would be going to Philadelphia in exchange for Ben Simmons if that were to happen. Um, and probably McDaniels and a boatload of picks and maybe D'Angelo Russell as well. Though, like you said, I doubt they do that only because of the friendships that exist between the three of them. But, if you get that core and you squint, it's not a bad squad if you have some half decent defense, a Patrick Beverly like they do, a Niles Reed, uh Jordan McLaughlin. I don't look at it as the worst possible roster. So that's why I didn't totally knock them. However, yes, they could be a whole lot better with honestly just some simpler moves that are right in front of them.
1: Yeah. And Minnesota, I talked about this on my other podcast as well. Minnesota's actually pretty good at keeping those stars happy. Like, Kevin Garnett was happy there for a while until he pressed it out. Karl-Anthony Towns, as I said, maybe he does, and it looks like that's a possibility. But so far, I mean, he's been pretty happy there. He hasn't, whatever, aside from him liking a tweet the other day saying, free tasks, (laughs) for a small market, they do a good job of keeping the stars happy.
0: Yeah, and I think they've also been blessed with some loyal guys because, like, on the one hand, I definitely agree with you there. Like, they the, those guys have not requested leaving. On the other hand, you look at their rosters over the years and go, well, why haven't they? <laughs> like, like these guys, these teams have been pretty bad, you know, built around them. I mean, this is probably the best roster that Conley Towns has, has had. But think about that for a minute. Like, yeah. this roster that's going nowhere fast, huh?
1: It's definitely
0: the best roster he's had. Yeah, and that's saying a lot for a guy who's played 16 in the NBA and, you know, has com- has reiterated his commitment to Minnesota. And this roster, which isn't winning a championship, isn't competing for a playoff spot, probably more than likely isn't competing for a play-in spot. And yet this is the best town he's been surrounded by. So I don't know that, but I do agree with you. Players have one to stay there for whatever reason, Um, and Minnesota just has to do their job and make sure that they're kept. So we'll see what happens here.
1: Okay. 28. We have the Cleveland Cavaliers. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm. I don't want to really knock Kobe Altman for what like he was given a tough situation once LeBron James left, and I mean he's done an okay job. He's drafted Sexton, drafted Garland, drafted Kevin Porter Jr., then gave him away for nothing. But just like what he's done since. He gave Kevin Love that extension, which everyone knew was going to be a disaster. He just signed Larry Market in, and now the starting three bigs after giving Jared Allen 100000000 million. They're going to have to extend Colin Sexton this summer if they want to keep him. They might end up being the worst team to ever pay the luxury tax in NBA history.
0: <laughs> that is a shame.
1: So, I mean, yes, I, I recognize that he was kind of put in a tougher situation once LeBron left, but he hasn't done himself any favors either.
0: No, I totally agree. And, I mean, he's someone I looked at in that window. So, I probably went back just a little too far with 2017, breaking my, like, self-imposed, like, three-year window. But when I looked back on Altman, yeah, from the jump, I mean, he inherited a team that was trying to contend with LeBron James, right? LeBron James was entering the last year of his deal, um, was already rumored to go to the Lakers, Philadelphia. There was a host of teams. He was trying to make sure he built a championship roster around LeBron. You know, you already had a Kyrie who won it out. How are they going to do it? And, like... The trade to begin with I wasn't a fan of in terms of trading Kyrie to Boston for, you know, Jay Crowder, Isaiah Thomas, Ante Zizic, that 2018 first-round pick that became Colin Sexton, and the 2020 second-round pick that became Skylar Mays. Like, Isaiah Thomas was already injured at the time. We knew he was going to be out for an extended period of time. You know, um, Ante Zizic, bench big, who did really do much in Cleveland, is now playing overseas. Jay Crowder, quality wing. But like I'm not trading Kyrie Irving basically for Jay Crowder and a couple months of Isaiah Thomas. That just doesn't work for me. And that first round pick being Colin Sexton, okay, I'm not really judging. Although, obviously, the Cavs don't look like they're going to be keeping Colin Sexton. So basically, three years of Colin, not super great there. Um, then you look at the rest of the moves they did. I did like his trade deadline moves to bring in, you know, guys like Rodney Hood. Um, guys at the time like um. I'm forgetting names here. Oh, George Hill and players alike like there to kind of help out. You know, also bringing in Jordan Clarkson Larry Nance Jr. That was good for them. LeBron leaves, and now you're in a rebuilding stage. And from that point on, I feel like everything that was done, with the exception of drafting Evan Mobley this past draft, I, I just have not been the biggest fan of. Okay, maybe I'll also give them a, a I was just about to say, maybe I'll, I'll give them a pass for drafting Jared – or not drafting, but picking up Jared Allen. But then – I wasn't a big fan of the five years, a hundred million dollar contract. Like, I,
1: I. marking it on top of that. When you already have Kevin Love and, yeah, you didn't need another big man to. There you
0: go. There you go. Drafting Kevin Porter Jr. was great. Getting rid of him for as little as they did was horrific. Although I do understand, like, the optics of the front office and just how bad he was there. Uh, still, that's, that's inexcusable to me given the talent that he is. You know? um, and the fact that it's not like he, there was no takers. It was just like, oh, we're just gonna get rid of him. Boom, we're done. You know, I give more credit to Houston for that than a knock on Cleveland, but this is again just showing how not a big fan I am of the construction ability of uh Colby Altman to 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 build a, a team like you said it's gonna be the most expensive luxury tax team and like yeah I guess I give them better odds to make the play in or playoffs than I do Minnesota but that's not by much you have Kevin Love still in the books there's no intention of, of of trading him of course value and a bunch of mess but he's obviously shown he doesn't want to be there and you've not worked in agreement with him you bring in Ricky Rubio because you bring in Ricky Rubio um it's just a weird mismatch roster that is not quite rebuilding not. Definitely not quite contending. I don't get the, the, the path, and this is year three of me not getting the path for Cleveland, except for understanding they're going to be bad.
1: And there's the aspect that he's the one who fired Ty Lue. And again, I get not wanting to have Ty Lue over a rebuild. build He's more of a coach that will help you in the playoffs, make you ready mm-hmm. to jump. When I did my coaching pod last week, I think I had a, Ty Lue ranked number three. So you're a phenomenal coach, and then you know you're keeping J.B. Bickerstaff around. So, again, I, I get, okay, getting rid of Ty Lue because he's not going to oversee a rebuild, but, I mean, you have yeah. one of the best coaches in the NBA. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Okay. And so, I just, I don't know.
1: Okay. And then you had David Griffin, number 30. I actually had him number 20 just because of some of the moves he made in Cleveland, but I do agree, like, when we get to your podcast, one of the things I'm talking about is how bad an all-season the Pelicans had.
0: Okay. So, it's Yeah. Huh? <laughs>
1: Let's talk about David Griffin.
0: Please. All right. David Griffin, I'm just – I am ticked. I am – like, I feel like I loved everything he did in Cleveland, well, basically everything he did in Cleveland. But when he comes to New Orleans, and I just feel like you you have it simple. You you basically made the move to trade – finally to trade Anthony Davis after that long, drawn-out period. You get back – just a treasure trove between Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, DeAndre Hunter, Brandon Ingram. You get the 2021 first round draft pick that became Isaiah Tom, Isaiah Jackson. Um, you get a 2023 first round pick, 2024 first round pick, a couple swaps. All this, just just a massive haul, right?
1: And you got a massive haul with Drew Holiday as
0: well. Exactly, exactly. You you get you you literally. Immediately you're able to draft the biggest no brainer for a number one pick, at least recently, you know, I don't know how you feel about Zion now. In Zion, fine. Um, then you go and flip Hunter Um for Nikhil alexander Walker, Jackson Hayes, uh, a twenty twenty one a twenty twenty first round pick. You make spoons around the edges, fine. Like I'm okay with that first year, seeing what happens. It's it's everything that follows after. Um for one, that big move they did in twenty twenty, where even after you bring in Drew Holiday, after you ship out Drew Holiday, you bring in a bunch of draft picks. You bring in Eric Bledsoe rather than George Hill, if you have the decision between the two. You bring in Stephen Adams, give the guy an extension before he's ever played a game. Like you bring in two non-shooters around a team that's built around one of the great inside threats of the NBA. Uh, just immense gravity but needs spacing to fully realize himself in Zion Williamson, another guy who's a good shooter in Brendan Ingram, but really just cannot be the best shooter on the floor. And then you shrink the spacing there. You bring in Stan Van Gundy after you fired Alvin Gentry, even though I thought Alvin Gentry did as best as he could with the roster he had. Fine. Then you have a disappointing season. Things go uh, predictably wrong. You know, the def- the offense is pretty bad with the exception of Zion and Brenda Ingram. The defense is surprisingly bad considering you have a defensive mind to coach. Then you make the move to dismiss um, or fire, as Stan Van Gunny pointed out. You fire him at the end of the year. You hire yet another new coach. You trade Lonzo Ball for a package that Thomas Donoranski, Garrett Temple, Cash, and two second-round picks. I, I'm not. I'm, I'm just not a fan of that. Um, did like the Trey Murphy signing. And then I like the fact that you basically flip – the guys you brought back in, basically undoing a mistake you already made in terms of sending out Stephen Adams, Eric Bledsoe, and others um, to get a couple draft picks, Devontae Graham, and a bunch of pieces that I, I just – they don't help, in my opinion, with the rebuild of the Pelicans the way that they should. And you are already facing a tick Zion Williamson. Like, this is – I would think the most easy blueprint – in in the history of General Managers to build around a team like, yes, we're rebuilding. Yes, I just got here. Not a whole lot of pressure, but let's try to make sure we can contend. You know, and when I say contend, I just mean for, like, a playoff spot being a competitive team that at least has a shot, unlike the last couple years. I don't think that you can look at the uh, additions you bring in of Devontae Graham, Stanoransky, Garrett Temple, and Jonas Valanciunas and say, okay, you know what? We did our job.
1: Yeah. And, you know, they they made all that cast space in order to try to, like, pursue Kyle Lowry. Which was not going to happen. When that, yeah, and that was never going to happen. And then instead they say, okay, fine, and the Lonzo ball sign trade, we'll take in Sadoransky, who's not even in the rotation. No. We'll take Garrett Temple, who's 34 years old. And not only that, they say, yeah, we need shooting around Lonzo. Or, excuse me, shooting around Zion. They get rid of Lonzo and give up a first to bring in a worse, less efficient player in Devontae Graham, who isn't, he, he was a great shooter when he first broke up broke out that first year, but well, he's a mm-hmm. very efficient player from two, and Lonzo has a better three-point percentage on more attempts. So you probably got rid of the worst shooter at that point. When with with he, less
0: defensive ability.
1: and Yeah, less defend, way less defensive ability. And, you know, you brought in Steven Adams and extended him two years before ever watching him play a game with Zion, which made no sense because Zion, you needed a stretch five, like, uh, Christian Wood type next to him, or like a Miles Turner type next to him, and instead they bring Stephen Adams, extend him two years before ever seeing Zion play a game with him. Then they trade Stephen Adams and Bledsoe to get Jonas Valanciunas, and then again extend Valanciunas two years, make the same mistake of a center that isn't really a stretch big. He's more stretchy, or he's stretchier than Stephen Adams is, but he made the same mistake in extending him before ever watching him play a game with Zion again.
0: You said it, and and that's a much better synopsis than what I did, but like that is why I'm absolutely just not with what David Griffin has done, and he came with this this great pedigree, I and mean, we see what he did in Cleveland, the moves he was able to make around the margins, the moves he was able to swing for the fences and help Cleveland with, and now I'm looking, I'm not undoing what he did in Cleveland, but I just don't understand how it is so hard to bring in shooting and have a realistic uh, gauge of where you are as a franchise and who you are and aren't able to bring in much less you know, pissing off your franchise guy, potentially, whether or not you believe that he is that. I'm starting to wonder myself, but at the end of the day, Zion, regardless of whether you believe he is that guy, is clearly a top talent in the NBA.
1: Yeah, and again, Zion, my heart goes out for him. Like, I hate to see a guy sound as him not be able to play because of injuries. I, again, Sixers fan, Joel Embiid, we saw him miss first two years, and his brother got killed, and he almost quit basketball. So Mm -hmm. I empathize and sympathize with Zion. Okay. My tier six, same thing, I have three guys. My number 27 might come as a surprise given the recent success the team has had, but I have the Phoenix Suns.
0: Interesting.
1: 26, I have Raphael Stone and 25, Raphael Stone for the Rockets. And again, we're more ranking the front offices rather than the GMs, but obviously Stone oversees that. And 25, I actually put the New York Knicks with Leon Rose. What? So... Let's start with the Suns. Obviously, Monty Williams was a home run hire. You guys heard of my coaching podcast last episode. I had him as a top 10 coach in the NBA. They just went to the NBA Finals. And again, Chris Paul was obviously a great trade. I will not knock him for that. That was phenomenal. But you just see Phoenix every single year. And again, I know this was a different regime. But Marky's Chris and Dragan Bender when they had four and eight. Um, again, that might be going back a little far. Josh Jackson. Over, um, or Josh Jackson was, I believe, number four overall. Then they flipped, then this regime to salary dump Josh Jackson gets rid of DeAnthony Meldon and a second round pick. DeAnthony Meldon is great. I believe it was this regime who, in order to get Dario Saric, they ended up trading six for the 11th pick, got Saric, but then they traded TJ Warren and the 31st pick in the draft for cash. So they salary dumped a good player and the, literally the first pick in the second round, which is basically a first round pick. Um, they could have had Tyrese Halliburton have a great three-guard rotation and had Chris Paul's successor when he fell in the laps in the draft, and instead they took Stick Smith. And again, I understand Chris Paul got him over the hump. Um, obviously they made the great Mikael Bridges for Zaire Smith trade. I'm going to blame DeAndre Aiden not sign extension more on the ownership than on James Jones, but the Suns still have done a lot of very poor decisions despite the one great decision that did obviously put them from a team who hasn't made the playoffs in, like, 11 years into Mm -hmm. a title contender.
0: I'm with you. I I have the Suns much higher personally, so I can't totally, like, jump on them. I will say that – it's weird, like you said, some of the stuff you've knocked, I didn't go as far back as you, but were I to judge for it as far back as, as as you went in terms of you know just and it's not even that far it's four years like yeah they 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 definitely made some major misevaluations of talent in the draft, and you know some of the stuff that was done um under the former um, GM in terms of um Ryan McDonough were definitely questionable to be sure, but I do like the way they're able to adjust as of now. I do have some knocks still on the way that they did um, kind of conduct this offseason in terms of, you know, making the trade for Landry Shaman and extending him as as early as they did, not extending DeAndre Ayton for reasons I don't understand. Well, yeah, um, i
1: not ownership more for that. I just think, um, I think he's the worst owner in the NBA, him and, and um, toman Fatito. so...
0: Hey, it's going to be hard to argue that. Glad we didn't do owner rankings, but yeah, it's going to be hard to uh, argue that for sure. But, like, ultimately, I do like the fact that when they adjusted, they did well. I think the last two years... You look at bringing in Ricky Rubio, you look at acquiring Kelly Oubre, look at the success that he had, you look at the bubble run, then making the hard decision, apart with Kelly Oubre, I mean, not Kelly Oubre, Kelly Oubre was hard for Phoenix, but giving away playing Golden State wasn't that hard. Making the hard decision, apart with Rubio, to bring in Chris Paul, despite the success of Rubio brought, understanding that, of course, Chris Paul is a much better player, but he would be the, the level raiser that the Suns needed to kind of make that jump from, you know, not only just disappointing team to intriguing coming up to like okay finals contention and I think the moves they did by staying pat and bringing the guys around the edges wasn't the worst thing in the world. Um, I I i I'm, I I like the direction that James Jones has had the Suns operating under. I will give that and it is a problem especially I give them more points when you're front office that's kind of um succeeding in spite of your owner. So for that I have the Suns. Um, in fact I guess I could just let them. We're already talking about them now, so I have actually the Suns in my top five. OK, because okay. I did like the fact that I separated James Jones from McDonough, which knocked out a lot of the warts and kept a lot of the shiny parts to kind of help them be where they are. Um, and so for I mean, even though without McDonough, I mean, you have Devin Booker, you have DeAndre and you have a lot of those guys, Mikel Bridges that were part of that older regime. But you add those that group, you bring in the additions and smart moves that Jones has made. And that's why I have them that big. But if we're looking like the last five years, yeah, Phoenix definitely is, at uh, best, more in the middle of the NBA, uh, because there are a little bit of uh, skeletons in their closet there. Here's,
1: here's the one thing that James Jones hit a home run on. Mm-hmm. He made the Chris Paul move knowing, okay, I think we're ready to compete. He did it after they went 8-0 and in the bubble, and that year the Suns were terrible. They were the last team invited to the bubble. But mm-hmm. uh, DeAndre Aiden had a 25-game suspension that year, and if my facts are correct, when DeAndre Aiden played that season, they actually had a winning record. So despite how bad they were, he knew, okay, we just went Aiden on the bubble with our full squad. It's time for us to make the jump. And that's when they went and made a splash for Chris Paul. So, okay. 26, I have the Houston Rockets. I feel like I knocked them because they've done some really good things in bringing in Kevin Porter Jr. for nothing, signing Christian Wood for a bargain, um, they as I said, they've done some pretty good things. I love getting Al Prince Shangoon, Jalen Green, obviously they got in number two. So I do like some things they made, but I think the James Harden trade might go down just about, maybe with the Kawhi trade, as the worst trade for superstar in NBA history. Like they could have had Chris LeVert and Jared Allen. Instead, they took Victor Oladipo, who you knew was gonna walk. So I feel like Ownership goes into the front office a little bit, and Toman Fatita probably said, Look, I don't want to pay all these guys if we're not going to be competing. I want mm-hmm. to have the cap space instead. And that's why they took on all the depot, figuring, okay, we'll either flip him at the deadline, which they did for Kelly Olenek and a pick swap, like virtually nothing. Yep. And then, um, they again, they could have had Crystal and Jared Allen. It was just, it, they could have had Ben Simmons. But I get getting the treasure trove of picks from a team who. Is relatively old, so maybe those twenty-five, twenty-seven picks end up being decent. The same way we saw the Nets do this before with the Celtics, and those picks became Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So, I just think that trade was such a disaster. I know he's done a pretty good job with the rebuild, but. <sighs> You botched a James Harden trade. That's going to set you back as a franchise, and for that reason, that's why I put them so low. No, so- I have the yeah,
0: I have the Rockets. It, it kind of in that same tier. They're number twenty three for me. Um, I love the commit to the rebuild that they finally took. Um, didn't like the process with which they went about that. Um, to find they were still trying to contend, like you said, when they made that move for Oladipo, despite all evidence being kind of pointing the opposite direction there. Um, now they're sitting Pal and John Wall. They still have Eric Gordon on the books, but I do like the fact they said, okay, you know what? They made that great move for Kevin Porter Jr. You draft Jalen Green, who is another guy who's really high on this year. You you make a uh, shrewd uh, trade to bring in um Alperen Shangoon, who I'm really high on. Josh Christopher as well, Usman Garuba. Like that's a good crop of guys all in one draft for development purposes, alongside a Jay Sean Tate, a guy who's still young enough and has value in Christian Wood. And you know this seems gonna be bad, and they have been. But there's also like ways for them to grow. Um, and you can also move some of these veteran guys for more assets in the future, Um, you know, more than likely toward the trade deadline. However, you're right. The way they got Ray James Harden, the the horrible return they got in exchange for him was ridiculous. Um, Then the way they were not able to cash in on said horrible return in terms of what they got for Victor Oladipo was bad as well, and so for that I knocked them toward the back. I don't think necessarily because they're a rebuilding team that they're bad. I think they're a bad team in terms of their front office because of how they decided to go about that rebuilding. It was organic. It was like, okay, let's make a move to stay on top. Okay, let's make a move to stay decent. Okay, that all failed. Now we're rebuilt. I wasn't a fan of that.
1: Yeah, and I feel like anybody who, like, covers the NBA or knows the NBA well, like you and I, knew Victor Oladipo, one, is on the decline of his career after that injury, and number two, was going to go to Miami. Like, everyone knew he was going to Miami. You could have had, again, i I'm selling broken record. You could have had Chris Laverne, who I understand the injury concerns, but he's on a very team-friendly deal that you could have flipped him for more than what you got for all the depot. Jared Allen, same thing, even if you don't want to keep him because you had Christian Wood and you were looking at Shangun and Garuba in this draft. You could have flipped these guys for sign and trade to Jared Allen. You could have just you get the best assets available to you, and they did not do that. So, okay, I don't have much more to say about the Rockets because again, I just think they completely botched it. 25, I put the New York Knicks, because I think they're finally competent in that front office with Leon Rose there and World Wide West, both, you know, former um, NBA agents. But I I really don't like the moves they made this offseason, because the whole premise of the Knicks is, okay, show that we're not a joke and that we're a competent franchise, and then when a star becomes available, we have the cap space to sign them. And that's been the premise for five years. They're finally competent after all these years, and maybe that appeals to a star to go there, but then they use all the cap space on Alec Burks and Noens Noel and Evan Fournier and Kemba Walker, and again, I get it, you're finally competent, you want to, you know, stay where you are, but I think last year was pretty fluky, I think they're more of a playing team than they are a 4 or 5 seed in the East, but again, now you're competent, you could get a star to go there, there's always an avenue to sign and trade guys, especially when you have a guy like RJ Barris. But you could have had the cap space to keep your core together and then, you know, just kind of star outright. Now that avenue and that blueprint you've had for years is now closed. So for that reason, I think this offseason was pretty disastrous for the Knicks that nobody's talking about. And again, I think Kemba Walker's done. He's the most inefficient player from two point, um, from any two point shot in the NBA at this point. Um, yeah, that's as much as I have to say about them.
0: Okay. I was going to say, I definitely, um... I have a little bit of a difference there. I have the Knicks more toward the top, actually. I thought that y- they stay pat for once in their franchise so in terms of not chasing after big fish that were unreliable. Yes, there is some question marks concerning how they were able to um, kind of get back into, let's say, semi-contention, making the playoffs for the first time in seven years. But I like the foundation. It is solid. Built around a coach who's trying to um, bring back this this dogged defensive-minded system that worked for a group of guys. Um, you have a guy who I think has been given maybe a little more free reign offensively than he should um, in terms of Julius Randle, but so far he's filled that role capably, Uh both last season and so far this season as well. I like the fact that Kim Walker at the price point that he's on – is great. You, again, he's not under that Boston Celtics um, contract. He's, what, making just, just under seven mil, I think, over the next two years. I like, guess there is definitely some concern there about him being the heavy guy, um, getting heavy minutes, and being the guy that he was kind of relied upon, except I don't think that he is that right now. I think he's sharing that role with the Derrick Rose. And yes, there's some questions about the fit of these guys, how they're going to age, the contracts they all have, but I do think For The production that you got from these guys, committing them for two years and a team option the third year gives them some flexibility so if the wheels do fall off, the Knicks can just part ways and move on. But you got yourself the foundation where this could be appealing to a marquee free agent a year or two that could say, hey, you know what, I can come on this team – that is very solid. A group of guys who know their role, and I would clearly be the best guy on this team. You know, I thought the signing for Evan Fournier was pretty good. Um, so far the returns for him have been great, and I think the direction on the court for New York has matched that. You know, uh, it's still. Am I enamored with the just specific collection of players? No, not personally. But like the style of play does seem to be something sustainable, and that is what I'm hounding. And also, I mean. They didn't bring everyone back. They did let go of Reggie Bullock. Um, bringing in Evan Fournier and bringing in, um, um, forgetting his walker, restored some bounds in the backcourt. Thank you. And I think it's time I'm talking too much. <laughs> and also, I think kind of set them up just to maintain competitiveness while they kind of let R.J. Barrett still continue to grow and not have any of the pressure really kind of sticking on him.
1: And, I mean, I guess they do have enough pieces if, like, let's just say hypothetically Bradley Beal or Zach Levine, who are really the only two marquee free agents this summer. Let's say one of them say, okay, New York, uh, let's get something done. I want to play there. There is an avenue for a sign and trade with, like, Evan Fournier makes enough money that Mm -hmm. you put him plus, like, Obi Toppin and Emmanuel quickly, and then maybe, like, a Nillian's Noel if necessary to make salary work. That's Appealing enough to, like, especially the Bulls, who are mm-hmm. still competing even if Levine walks, that I guess, okay, yeah, maybe they could still do a sign so it doesn't completely preclude them from getting a star. Sure. But, yeah. But I just think they've done the blueprint for so many years, and they just completely went away from that. Maybe it'll work out for them because clearly the blueprint hasn't worked. KD and Kyrie both chose the Nets over them because of the fact that they should be more competent franchise. But now with Tibbs at the helm, now the new front office, the Knicks, I think, finally are competent and could draw guys there. Which they did draw guys there. They drew Kemba there. They drew mm-hmm. there. And the guys that they had clearly bought into what Tibbs is preaching because Nolan stayed, Alec Burke stayed, Dero stayed. So we'll see.
0: Yeah, exactly. exactly.
1: Okay. So now I have Tier 5. Number twenty, I had I have one, two, three, four, five guys in this tier my twenty through twenty-four. David Griffin, we already talked about. Mm-hmm. Twenty one, I actually puts the Clippers and Lawrence Schrank. Um we're gonna get into them. I'm actually not a big fan of a lot of the things he's did recently. Okay. Twenty-two, I had the Detroit Pistons, who come from that OKC tree with Troy Weaver. Twenty-three, I had the Dallas Mavericks with Nike executive. Um, Nico Harrison, who took the GM job, and 24, I put the Sacramento Kings with new front office guy, Monte McNeil, who came from, I believe he was with Houston beforehand. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, okay. Sacramento, I feel like, has Phoenix Syndrome in the aspect of, yes, they hit on all the point guards with De'Aaron Fox in the draft and Tyrese Halliburton in the draft and Davion Mitchell, but before that, like, they had Bagley, they had Nick Stauskas, they had... Every year, like, they haven't made the playoffs in 14 years, and they have three guys to show for it. Yeah. They they, they do draft well, they never have. So I'm not going to knock a brand-new GM for that. And, again, he's drafted Halliburton. He's traded for Terrence Davis for virtually nothing. Like, he's done some things around the edges. drafted Avion Mitchell, who won Summer League MVP, and has looked phenomenal so far. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm interested to see what they do. I was actually talking to my buddy on my other podcast, the NBA Bowl, about a Sacramento and Philly swap, De'Aaron Fox, for Ben Simmons. Just because Luke Walden is the worst coach in the NBA, just about. Yeah. Um, Jason Kidd makes to differ, but that's a story that was <laughs> But But um, Sacramento had the worst offensive rating in NBA history last year. If they were to get Ben Simmons, who's probably the most versatile defender in the NBA, and – Again, they lose Darren Fox, but they still have Halliburton and Davion Mitchell and Buddy Heald, who obviously, Buddy Heald's going to be gone sooner rather than later. Um, Marvin Bagley, yes, he didn't draft him, but if you knew he wasn't going to be in the rotation, then why didn't you move him before you completely sink his trade down? Like, you could have gotten something from, like, OKC or Houston. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like instead of paying Christian Wood this summer, or not, excuse me, not Christian Wood, Rashawn Holmes this summer, you could have let Rashawn Holmes walk, get Christian Wood for less money. Who's a better defender? And flip Marvin Bagley to Houston for Christian Wood because Houston already drafted Shangoon and Garuba, so that would have opened up more playing time. That's something I had in my mock offseason season that I put together every year. That I Good. think would have made a ton of sense for both teams. So it's just small things around the margins. Like yes, you did get rid Buddy Hield to the Lakers, and then the La- it's not your fault the Lakers bailed when Westbrook became available. And again, I think the Lakers should have went with Buddy Hield. I think he's a better fit next to LeBron and AD. Yeah,
0: yeah. But, Yep.
1: But, yeah, I think that, you know, he did have Kuzma and Manchester Harrell until the Lakers bailed. He did a good job with Davion Mitchell. So that's why, despite everything Sacramento has done poorly, I still have them in Tier 5 as opposed to Tier 6 or 7.
0: That's fair. That's fair, and I mean they're more or less in that like, same kind of area. I agree with everything you did say. The Kings have, I mean, come on, this has been a franchise that's been known more for their missteps and flops than for any success they've made. So the fact that they did kind of rectify that a little bit is great. But you're right, I definitely want to talk to you. Oh, uh, once the show's over about the mock season. that's very interesting, and I like some of those thoughts know, that you threw out there. i a
1: mock trade so I like, do
0: color okay let's let's bookmark that for sure i'm intrigued but um i want to yeah but with like aside from that i agree like the if the option was there for to make any of the moves you outlined they definitely should have made that with that being said i do like the fact that they seem to be on a path of competency look at the energy around the franchise right now look at the way that you know they're still the kings but like they seem to have a different shine than than before and i think that they have a little bit of trust in the front office to kind of Build in the right direction. So yeah, they're more or less in that same tier for me. I actually kinda have most of those teams in that same group um that you just mentioned. Uh with well, the Clippers are interesting though.
1: Yeah. So let's we have let's talk about the Mavs real quick. Yeah. The Clippers. But Nico Harrison, I really didn't know where to put him because he's not the one who made the Christos Porzingis trade. And I think it's so ironic now how the Christos Porzingis trade is now known as the Tim Hardaway Jr. trade. Because Tim Hardaway's yeah. now probably Sadness player on Dallas. So okay. the guy who they were supposed to basically be a salary-dump him according ends up, you know, really being a key piece to this match team. Yeah. And, again, I'm not going to fault him for not moving off multiple picks to get rid of Chris Osborne's because that's what they're going to have to do. If, like, they want to trade him for, like, an OKC or someone, they have to move probably—they don't even have any picks to move, really, because they traded two picks to get off of him. So— mm-hmm. I get saving those picks to try to acquire another piece next to Luca. Like, I think Juan Jodrick's gonna end up in Dallas sooner rather than later. But until yeah. that happens, I mean, they need a secondary ball handler that I know it's Jalen Brunson right now, but just like, the personnel in Dallas isn't great. So, I, I know that's mostly Donnie Nelson's fault, and now they have Nico Harrison, but Nico Harrison, all he's really done is re-sign Tim Hardaway Jr., which is fine, bring on Reggie Bullock, which is fine, and then hire Jason Kidd, who got Rick Carlisle's endorsement, got Mark Cuban's endorsement, because he won a championship with the Mets. So, yeah. but other than that, I mean, I, I don't have much to say about them. They They need to make a move, so we'll see what they do from here on out to see what move they can make. But... Until then, the jury's out. That's why I just kind of cut my losses and put them
0: at 23. Hey, honestly, I have the Mavs at 24, so I'm right there with you. Um They're in that same kind of tier. I have them with a team we haven't got to yet, but the Blazers. And the reason I have, I said you have a marquee guy. In short, is this the way you build around him? The answer was no. So that's why I have um, them right now. Nico Harrison, I, again, I had to go a little deeper into the previous administration, only because we don't have enough of a body of work on Harrison to see what he would do um, or what he will do. But so far ah, uh, the, the returns haven't been super positive, so I'm right there with you. Okay. Um, Yeah, but uh, the Clippers, yeah, they've been interesting to me. I, I want to get why, and I want to see if maybe what you're knocking them on is where I'm knocking them as well, uh, mostly the moves of the last year.
1: Okay. So I went back a little bit. I went back to the Blake Griffin trade. Okay. That was great for them. They they realized they signed a bad contract. And, again, just <laughs> before Blake horrible. like really aged poorly. But they got rid of Blake, then – You know, they had Tobias Harris. They used that pick they got in the Blake trade to draft SGA. So that's one thing. Um, Then they flipped Tobias Harris because they wanted the cast face knowing they had a shot at Kawhi, made the Paul George trade, whatever. That's fine. But then the Marcus Morris contract, what was it, 4 for 64, was disastrous. The Luke Knott, I think, was 4 for 56. Disastrous. They made both of those in the same offseason, both terrible trades, or both terrible signings, and then at the deadline, they said, oh, we really need a point guard. Let's trade for Wastrup Dondo and give away Lou Williams, who's a better player than Dondo, plus two second-round picks. Like, that trade was disastrous as well. So yeah. just everything the Clippers have done the last two years, I liked extending Terrence Mann because I think Terrence Mann's a player, but just, like, the Marcus Morris deal was horrible. The Luke Kennard deal was horrible. The, um... The Lou Williams trade is horrible. So just, like, I don't know. I just, I think Ty Lue's a great coach, and I do like getting rid of Doc Rivers for him. But just all these recent moves that they've made, they're, like, WTF moves, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, no, you broke it down in a really logical way, I think. Um, I don't, I understand everything up to the addition of acquiring both Paul George, of course, and the big fish, Kawhi Leonard. I think everything after that has been interesting. Um, bringing in Marcus Morris was nice. Not really a big fan of the extension that followed. Um, Rich Jackson obviously been a good pickup. I actually like that extension. Short term, he'll be 33. Yeah, it, it's a solid one. Um, Luke Kennard, that uh, was kind of iffy to me um to begin with I just wasn't a fan of that in terms of what he was a player in Detroit was obviously going to be different than he would he would be in Los Angeles because the role is obviously different you have a a more future role in the offense on a bad team and now you're going to be another cog on a very good team you know um the overreaction of we need a point guard we need a point guard let's get Rondo and then of course Rondo not working then panicking flipping him out for Eric Bledsoe of all people as if you know New Orleans didn't happen and the last two years of uh Milwaukee didn't happen either was confusing as well um it's just been weird. I mean their offense isn't super great. Their defense is meh. Now mind you, you still have a Kawhi Leonard, so I don't want to knock all of that. And you were able to keep him long term. Now I don't know how much of that is due to him also looking out for his own security with his own injury history in addition to that, but it's still something. So I definitely think that it's um it it's 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 one that the Clippers were more in the middle of the pack for me for that very reason. Um I had them Where did I have this? Like they were just outside the top ten because I did not like the the the, just the great picks they were able to do the series of moves they were able to do to get those two big fish out of nowhere. Like that was just a seismic move in the NBA. Hasn't had the returns I thought would happen as of yet, but yeah, everything after that has been kind of more hit or miss, and it's been kind of iffy to me. The the verdict's not out all the way yet, um, especially with last year just the injuries that occurred during their playoff push and what we've seen so far. Knowing that Kawhi Leonard would not play for the majority, if not all, this year. But, yeah, I kind of agree with you.
1: Okay. So the last team I have in this tier is Detroit. Troy Weaver comes from the OKC um, tree. He was an assistant GM under Sam Presti. And OKC, I'm just going to assume that Corbin has them high because I have them very high. But mm-hmm. Detroit, you know, they had Luke Knoll. They flipped him for the 19th pick to take to Bay, which was a home run. They drafted Isaiah Stewart and Killian Hayes, who I still like Killian Hayes. He's still younger than most guys that came out of this year's draft class. Um, both of those, I think, were home runs. The Jeremy Grant signing, okay. I can't say anything bad about it because, again, it's just to it's a veteran presence to be the best player on your team until you're ready. Then, obviously, they get Kade this year. They got Isaiah, Luke, Isaiah, uh, Isaiah Livers and Luca Garza. Um, they traded D-Rose to get more assets. Not, nothing great. It was Denson Jr. on a second at the time. But the point is, he's doing everything that a rebuilding team should be doing. And he should have missed it a the call all of a sudden. And, again, what, it takes a little lottery luck to land a guy like Cade. So good for them for getting that franchise guy. But you got him. It's the second year into your rebuild. So mm-hmm. good for them for being able to do that. And, yeah, I like what Detroit's done so far.
0: Um, yeah, so far I'm with you. Not a whole lot to add there. Uh, kind of have them almost in, in tandem with where you have them in terms of your tiers and my numbering. Um, yeah, they know where they're going. They've isolated their rebuild. I think they're taking positive steps and they found some diamonds in the rough.
1: Okay, yeah, again, not much to say. He just recently started last offseason for them. Um, okay, tier four. I have my guys 13 through 19. So my 19, again, I'm gonna get a lot of hate for this. I actually have Rob Palenka from the Lakers. Um, 18, okay. 18, I have the Chicago Bulls with a tourist called Nischovitz. 17, I have the Hornets led by Mitch Kupchak 16, Out of the Trailblazers led by Neil O'Shea 15, Out have the Boston Celtics led by Brad Stevens, 14, Pacers led by Kevin Pritchard, and 13, Out San Antonio Spurs led by Arcee Buford So let's start with the Lakers, since I have them last in this tier um, Shout out to them for firing Luke Walden and hiring Frank Vogel That's just about as big of that's almost as big of a coaching upgrade that the Pacers were able to get going from Nate Bjorkman into Rick Carlisle. But, I mean, they went from one of the worst coaches in the league to one of the better ones and probably the best defensive-minded coach. Um, obviously, the AD trade happens. They were able to get Alex Caruso after he went undrafted. They were able to get Taylor Horton Tucker for a late second-round pick and, you know, get him to sign an extension. But I really don't like what they did this off season. I mean, I know that LeBron, I'm sure, plays some role in that, but how do you expect to win when you're, like, the oldest team in NBA history? Like, I just – I don't – West, I don't like the fit with Westbrook, as I talked about earlier. I think Buddy Heald was a much better fit. So I, I just – I don't love what they've done with the core since the ADT. Like, they could have signed Crusoe, and, like, they're in L.A. If you're in a big market, I'm going to knock you for not paying the luxury tax. Yeah, and they could have had Alex Caruso and they didn't even try to match with the Bulls and I say match, he wasn't restricted but like I guarantee you if the Lakers were within the same ballpark of what the Bulls were giving, he was going to stay and like mm-hmm. you just you let him walk in favor for Wayne Ellington who I like, I like his shooting at LeBron and AD in favor of Carmelo, in favor of Malik Monk and Kendrick Nunn, I like both those signings so but I don't know, I just think when you're in a position you can let those guys walk.
0: Like they didn't no. eat, like yeah. No, you said it. And I I have the Lakers Lily like had them tied between 19th and 20th, I put them 20th, so I actually went a little worse than you. But as a Lakers fan, I just felt like I had to. I think that Lakers have done, Polinka specifically, has done a good job of rebuilding, uh basically, four different times. Like, maintaining competitive championship status, sort of, but rebuilding around LeBron. You bring LeBron in the first year, 2019, you're doing it around ball handlers. You have guys like Lance Stevenson, Rondo. You bring in guys like Michael Beasley. You know, just a weird kind of mismatch roster with the young guys. Fine. 2020, you scrap that, you let all those guys go, you make the trade for the young guys, for Anthony Davis, is LeBron, AD, and of course, you know, a rim-running base and shooters. Fine. You do that, win the championship. Next, you decide to change it because reasons. You get LeBron, AD, and now you want to juice up the offense the more for the non-LeBron minutes. You bring in Montrezl Harrell, you bring in uh, Mark Gasol for a different look on the offensive end, keeping the defenders, seeing what happens. I think it was fine, but they kind of had too many... uh Hands in the pot, they kept trying to season it up a little bit. Then you brought in, of course, um, Andre Drummond for no reason. That caused some friction in the, in the big rotation between monstrous Harold, and Marc Gasol. It all fizzled out. Combustion, Dennis Schroeder, all of that. Fine. Then you try to go back to the same formula that won you the championship 2020, but you make a major addition because you're trying to blend the two of saying, okay, we're going juice offense for the non-LeBron minutes and keep that rim-running big formula by bringing in Russell Westbrook for those non-LeBron minutes and keeping, bringing back Dwight Howard, bringing DeAndre Hunter or DeAndre Jordan to kind of have those guys. Yeah, only problem is DeAndre Jordan and Dwight Howard, Dwight Howard's two years older than he was before. DeAndre Jordan's already older. They're not the same athletic rim-running big. They're just rim-running bigs at this point, you know? That kind of slows the defense. Russell Westbrook's been kind of odds. Uh, the fact that you made the move to get rid of all of your reliable um, wing defenders at the expense of Russ, who is good. I'm a Russell Westbrook fan, but he's not been good for the Lakers this year, and that's just the, that's just the bones about it.
1: the ball, in his hands because if John does, and they'll the two most ball Dominik guys in
0: the NBA. Exactly. You said it. You had another deal that was a better deal for your roster construction. Looking right at you in the face in Buddy Heald, which you did not take, because if you had, you would have been able to keep, uh, I think it was KCP, and, um, yeah, you would have been able to keep KQP Cap Kep Caruso. Maybe, because the money that would have been saved. So it's just a big mess when you look at it. I like the fact that Palinka has been able to adjust on the fly. For better or for worse, he finds a way to pull rabbits out of his hats and make these moves happen. I just have not been a fan of the moves that he's made. So yeah. that's why I have him in the back half right now.
1: And I think he's, you know, he's more of a executive that looks at big names and wants to bring in big names. And, again, I get it, you're in LA. But at the same time, no <laughs> one's to... Uh, be mad at you if you're winning championships. Like, Lakers fans want to win championships. I Just yeah. more than probably any other franchise. So I think if, you're, if you pass on the big name over, you know, a guy who fits better and will increase your championships, like Buddy Hill, whatever, over Russell Westbrook, then that's a move you make. But, mm-hmm. okay. 18 out of the Chicago Bulls. Um, and basically, I'm just judging them based off this offseason and last year when they traded for Vucevic. First, I was like, okay, you're not even a playoff team before Vucevic. So why are you trading Wendell Carter and multiple first-round picks in order to, you know, maybe get in the playing game, which they couldn't even do? And again, I know Zach Levine got COVID, and him and Vucevic barely played together. But at the same time, like, they weren't in a position to make that trade. They do it. Then they bring in DeRozan and Alonso. They had Patrick Williams, number four overall. So I'm like, okay, I I get it at this point, because Zach Levine is coming up on free agency, and if yeah. you don't want to lose him, you got to show, okay, we're serious about winning now. But they just they gave up so freaking much to get DeRozan in the signing trade, and Lonzo in the signing trade, and Vucevic. So, they really need, again, I just watched the Sixers with no Tobias Harris, beat them twice. Yeah. So, again, they, they got up to a good start this year, but I don't know realistically how good they actually are. And that's going to depend if Zach Levine walks or not. So if Zach Levine walks and they have no assets, I'm sure you could trade Vucevic and in and start over and, you know, recoup some picks for that. But every move you made seems like you're going to be a competitive team with or without Levine. So I just, I don't know, they were in a weird position to begin with, and I just don't love what they've done.
0: I get you. I'm a little bit higher on them in terms of moves that they made. Um bringing in um DeMar DeRozan, I mean that was kind of looked at as um a fit that wouldn't work so far it has. I mean, not only has it worked in a major way of the most being in a record that they probably didn't anticipate going in, but DeMar DeRozan the team is better um with him on the floor defensively or for the first time or at least not worse with him on the floor defensively for like only the third time in his career I remember looking up. Um that's pretty crazy. Um, shout out to Dan Favali for that statistic um, but also they have an identity of a defensive minded core group you know you bring in a guy like Cruz, so you bring in a guy like Lonzo Ball you know what that's going to do to your backcourt you know what I mean in terms of that defensive versatility in the backcourt kind of covering for some of your lesser defenders like you know DeMar DeRozan or a Zach Levine who's okay or Nikola Vucevic I didn't like the sell out process in order to make the the playoffs that did not work out last year I totally agree with you, especially because we have to keep Zach Levine in being, Chicago.
1: That ended up being the eighth pick in the draft that they
0: lost. Exactly, which might have been a, which would have been a good fit. Um, would I rather had an Vooch Considering what I have now, I'm not sure, but I definitely would have considered it. You know, um, especially when all due respect to Zach Levine, like he's a very good player. I just don't look at him like, oh, we got to bail everything out to keep him around. You know, um, I just not the way I saw that. Uh, especially when you look at the free agent market out there and go, okay, you know what? who's it, who are you gonna jump to you know who's who's open that you're gonna leave the situation in Chicago for a better opportunity? I don't think that there is one right now that presents itself um with that being said, uh you know losing thad young kind of hurt definitely didn't like the way that was done um. You're making that interesting trade for Derrick Jones Jr., I guess it comes more into play now. It's probably a better move now considering the, the injury um, for the for Pat Will for the rest of the year. So I guess that ends up working itself out. But at first, I was definitely concerned about that and curious about the potential fit there, especially if Larry Nance was available. I would have liked him as a much better fit on that Chicago roster. But that's more of a hypothetical than anything else. Um, but yeah, I am I, a little. I disagree a little bit more only because of the positive return they've had and they still don't have Kobe White yet. And I think this kind of construction enables Kobe White to be what I think he's probably meant to be anyway, which is just a gunner off the bench that can fill it up in a hurry and in not just a point guard. I'm sorry?
1: Okay. In the Lou Williams role, I think, is
0: exactly. I think. Exactly. And last year's construction didn't lend itself to him being that.
1: The Mark and trade I actually liked. I know you said, yes, Larry Nance was available. Larry Nance, I think, is a very underrated player. But, I mean, they got a first-round pick with, De- with um, Derrick Jones Jr. in that trade. So, you know what? I'll take it. They they got they got rid of four picks to get DeRozan and Lonzo and Busevich on him. So, you really? know what? You finished one of those picks. I'm fine with that. But I'm interested to see that death lineup, you know, when it really matters, of Busevich, DeRozan playing the four, so it's going to be a super small lineup, Levine, Caruso, and Lonzo. Like, I yeah. really like that
0: lineup. Me too. I like it as well. You're right. It would be very interesting to see how that works out together. But they've been so far so good. And yeah, Philadelphia has been kind of their Achilles heel so far. I really think it's the size of Embiid more than anything else because Embiid's just too good for Vooch and that dominant player. And defensively, it's not like the Bulls don't have some words to shore up, especially when it comes to Levine and DeRozan. And Levine has been playing injured. Um, but with all of that said, so far, I, I so good if I, if I'm a, a Bulls fan. Yeah. And again, the Bulls haven't
1: really been relevant since they traded Jimmy Bubble. So good for them. Um, 17 out of the Charlotte Hornets LaMelo Ball fell in their lap I mean they didn't extend Miles Bridges which is looking like a mistake because he looks like they said they offered him I believe Real GM reported it that it was what go for 60 I believe
0: he blew past that
1: yeah he's going to make double that if if he keeps this up Um, I initially wasn't a big fan of PJ Washington he's clearly proved me wrong um, I didn't love the Rougier extension for, what was it, it was like four for like 85 or something, mm-hmm. but you, I, I didn't love the Gordon Hayward signing either, they signed him to a crap ton of money at the time, but I mean, when Gordon Hayward was healthy last year, they were like the five or six seed in the East, and then, you know, they ended up falling in the plan once he got hurt, so the Hornets were still, they were just trying to be relevant in a small market, Trying to build around the mellow, and now maybe Miles Bridges is your second building piece with guys like Brusqueo and Hayward and P.J. Washington, but they're going to get expensive quick. So I'm excited to see what Mitch Kupchak does. Mitch Kupchak obviously was a Lakers GM for years and years. He's the one who traded Shack to the uh, Heat. He's the one who traded for Pau Gasol. He's also the one that, you know, he drafted Julius Randle. He signed those horrible contracts with the old Danny Timothy Masgoff for the Lakers. So I'm interested to see now that he's in a small market how he's going to build around the Melo and Miles Bridges. And because you got to keep Miles Bridges somehow this year. I know he's going to be restricted and you can match whatever, but you got to be willing to do that.
0: Absolutely. And you know what? I mean, I was a little high on the Terry Rozier signing. Um, I, was, I was, I'm high on Terry Rozier, so I guess that's kind of the reason why. But also, <laughs> like he's someone who's improved. Most of the time, he's been in Charlotte. Um, last year, uh, he had a career high of twenty points per game, which exceeded the career high he put the year before. Uh, he shot thirty eight percent from three last year, which was just below the forty percent from three he shot the year before. For twenty four and four, paying just through his prime, I definitely like that as a guy who could play the two guard, some of the one. Um, as well is okay defensively. Is going to light up offensively in moments, and definitely going to be a reliable shooter. If not, I, I think it's a value signing in terms of yeah, it's a, a lot of money for him in terms of like keeping him around. But like I, I don't see a, a better option out there, and you could do far worse than Terry Rozier. So I was and, definitely fond of that.
1: And I like that they got rid of Devonte Graham and got a first on pick
0: for I agree. So. I agree, especially since Devonte Graham didn't really have a future there with Lamella Ball being around, just him not being, in my opinion, a starting point guard long term. Just yeah, too many guards.
1: Yeah, they mm-hmm. brought in Ish Smith, so they brought in yeah. replacements, and get, they saved money, and they gained the first round pick. So, again, good move
0: for them. Exactly. And uh, I also agree with you in terms of Gordon Hayward, but so far he's been okay, so I can't really complain too much about it. We'll see how the back half of that deal turns out. But ultimately, I have them right about in the same area as you, so we're good. Okay. Number 16, I have
1: the Pull the Trailblazers led by Neil O'Shea. Portland, I actually had, I think, number eight when I did this exercise last year on the NBA goal, but, um, and that's mostly because, look, he took over, drafted Dame, drafted CJ, um, he got Will Baldwin, so, obviously, Will Baldwin developed for Denver, but that was a good signing. The next year, he drafted CJ McCollum, and his M.O. was draft guys that dominated at the level they were at, regardless of where they were. He got Dame out of Weber State. He got CJ McCollum out of Lehigh. Like, and clearly it worked. He got Nurchick for Mason Plumlee when, you know, Jokic started taking over in Denver. He traded Gary Trent knowing he was going to pay him and got Norm Powell, who obviously he then paid. Um, he revived Carmelo Anthony. So he did some good things. But then this offseason, when your back was against the wall and it's no secret that Dame's going to ask out sooner rather than later, you, like, Dame said, I want to see what moves we make this offseason. And all you do is bring in Cody Zeller and Tony Snell and Ben McIlmore. Like, oh. I understand you don't have Cat Space, but like that's the best you're and obviously locked up normal, I think, for for eighty something. So that's the best you're able to do when the best player in the history of your franchise says, Before I request out, I wanna see what we can do. You barely like get into the luxury tax. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, like I feel like there was an opportunity to move C.J. McCollum for a guy who fits better. I mean, the small backcourt, I know they went to the Western Conference Finals one year, but, like, clearly, like, they just need to shake something up to prove to Dame, okay, we're serious about keeping you, and they haven't done that.
0: Oh, no. I, yeah, you said you don't know. I absolutely know. I have them much lower. I actually had the Blazers 25. Um, yeah, I think that... The, the, you literally had your franchise guy finally say the obvious. What people who've been watching Portland have said for years, that they need to do a better job of building around these guys. How are they going to get that guy who's really going to push Dame over the top? So Dame finally says, hey, we need to, we need to kind of make some improvements. Our best right now just isn't good enough. And he says, okay, Ben McLemore, Cody Zeller, Larry Nance Jr., step on up. Like, that's not a great move for Neil O'Shea for me. I don't think that it's something that's going to help them kind of move tangibly up the ladder in terms of left contention. I think they're going to be right back where they've been. And if you, Always are where you've always been, then you'll always be. You know, the whole, I'm getting it mixed up. But the whole, I think actually Dame said it better the whole idea of like, listen, if you're going to stay where you are, you'll just be stuck where you are. And that's what I feel that Portland has done. Not sure why O'Leal seems to be kind of um reticent to make some major moves around this team other than just around the margins. But like, Dame's all but said that moves outside of that have to be made, and they haven't. And I think that there's been an apparent sign for the last three seasons. Therefore, I put them at, like, 25, because it's kind of clear to everyone but the front office that moves have to be made to, to really show up their direction.
1: Yeah. And, again, I think it's sooner rather than later that Damian out In Philly, everyone's like, okay, yeah, we're going to have Damian Lillard by the trade deadline. But I don't even know if they're, like, if they would even want Ben Simmons. Like, it completely depends on the direction they want to go. I feel like Neil O'Shea, and, again, he might be filed sooner rather than later, especially with his investigations going on now. Mm-hmm. But – if they just say, okay, we're going to blow it up and trade McCollum and Lillard and Nerchik and Covington, then maybe they'll do that and Ben Simmons isn't the best package. But if they want to stay competitive, maybe, you know, Ben Simmons is the best package. So I'm interested to see how they handle it. I could picture the Pelicans going all in for Dame to keep Zion happy doing like Brandon Ingram and the slew of picks that they have. Um, something like that. Maybe the Celtics would be one to Paul with Jalen Brown. I think they'll, the Celtics are going to, might be the landing spot for Bradley Beal just because his relationship with Jason Tatum, but
0: we'll see. I mean, bottom okay, line... speak... Yeah, uh-huh. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, bottom line, Dave's been in the NBA, what, nine years, going on ten now. Blaze advanced past the first round three times, advanced past the second round just once.
1: And, I- and again, he lost last year to the playoffs to Denver, who had no Jamal Murray and no Will Where they had no... it was starting Facundo, Compasso, and Austin Rivers, and... And they didn't have Monte Morris for a lot of that series.
0: Exactly. So
1: they have literally no backwards, and they still couldn't, you know, get over the hump. You said um, that. And then, of course, the whole hiring bill Billups and saying they did an internal investigation about sexual assault allegations, mm-hmm. wouldn't even speak on it. I just think that entire team's a disaster, and it's the ratings on Yeah, it.
0: you'll just have to trust us, that whole deal.
1: Yeah. 15, I had the Boston Celtics. Again, Brad Stevens just took over, so I don't know how much weight to put in everything mm-hmm. because I know he was the coach so we had some set on front office moves because I'm sure the GMs and coaches talk when before they make moves. But um, I feel like when the Celtics won to the Danny Andrews team, it was always them almost getting a guy. They almost traded for Kawhi Leonard. They almost traded for Anthony Davis, but they didn't. They had a signing trade set up for Gordon Hayward to go to the Pacers to get who was it? T.J. Warren and Miles Turner. Mm-hmm. And he said no, and instead let him walk to the Hornets for a trade exception that they used on Evan Fournier and then the rest of it on Josh Richardson this year. When they could have had Miles Turner, which is clearly what they need. Obviously now, Time Lord has evolved, and Al Horford's now back. But I'm saying like before, Time Lord became like a known commodity. Before we signed that extension, they needed a stretch big, and they could have had Miles Turner. They could have had TJ Warren, and instead, like, it was just so many moves. The Celtics were always at the top of the list of every time a star became available, and it was always what if. They never executed on any of that. So, I don't know. Brad Stevens himself hasn't done much. He obviously got off Kemba's contract, which was an albatross, to bring in Al Holford, who made significantly less, and only has $14 million guaranteed next year. They gave mm-hmm. the first-round pick to do it. They let Evan Fournier walk. They used a trade exception on Josh Richardson and then extended him, and Josh Richardson has looked terrible the past three years. Yep. So he's has 13 in three years, and he's looked terrible in every
0: single spot. Ever since he left Miami.
1: And then Dennis Schroeder, I did like that signing for $6 million. But I don't know. They, they just haven't done enough. But, so I just put them, same thing, middle
0: of the packs. Yeah, I just, I I, I I had them a lot lower, and where I had them was uh 27. And okay. the reason why, is because you, you go from, like you said, um, and I agree with you, you actually brought some of the more optimistic points that I definitely was a little lower on or hadn't really fully considered, Um, especially the shooter signing as well for that price point was really good just because he happened to be there. But, as I put my notes, no real point guard, cracks all around team. Um obviously internally that team's a mess. Uh you trusted you made an active decision to go into the offseason and say, you know what, we're gonna hand over our point guard reins to mostly Marcus Smart and then Dennis Schroeder and then Peyton Pritchard. After letting go of of course the Kimball Walker who's scoring in and, and, and kind of achy, creaky D's were, were not a fit but didn't mean that you just have addition by subtraction. It wasn't that level of a, of a of a negative player. So I understand that. Um You're turning more of the playmaking, the guys who haven't made that leap, by just trusting that, listen, it's time for you guys to make that leap. And by those guys, I'm talking about Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Hasn't happened as of yet. Defensively, look out of sorts. Offensively, look your turn, my turn. um Mostly between the two main guys. Al Horford's brought back in. I feel bad for him because he's a glue guy on the team that needs a lot more than glue. Um And it's just issues there. So I look at... Kind of the team that Brad Stevens inherited from, of course, Danny Ainge wasn't just totally great. And Brad Stevens, he's going to need more time to build it right. But this isn't the first step in the right direction, in my opinion. And I think the Celtics record reflects that.
1: Yeah. And I I was talking to my fiance about this. She's obviously a huge basketball fan as well, because that's all I freaking talk about. But, um, yeah. but, and as Celtics fans, obviously, we like watching the Celtics implode. But, <laughs> but there's been issues with the Celtics. For years, in the locker room, even dating back to when Kyrie was on, everyone said, okay, Kyrie's a problem. Kyrie left. And even last year, there was an issue, and everyone thought, okay, maybe it's Brad Stevens being at the helm. Mm -hmm. So Brad Stevens leaves the coaching job, now he's in front office. Now they're still having issues in that locker room, and I think it's because Brad Stevens is in charge of these guys' careers, on whether they're going to stay on the team or not. So I think he's a big problem. Again, he seems like a great guy. I don't have a bad thing to say about it. I'm just saying, based off the locker room problems, he's still there. He got promoted. He's now in charge of these guys either being on the team or getting traded. Like, they saw what he did to Kemba.
0: So, yeah. no, You make a good point. You make uh, he was, that was the first move that Steven made. So I think that people know, like, listen, like, you're only as safe as your production level. And right now, that's a problem because a lot of Celtics are not performing up to par on that part.
1: Yeah. Okay. Number 14, I have the Indiana Pacers and Kevin Pritchard. Um, I went a little further back because the Pacers aren't a team that usually makes a whole slew of moves. Mm-hmm. But I went back to the Paul George trade. And I remember, do you remember at the time that Paul George trade was made, everyone said what I said about the Harden trade. It was the worst move for, like, a borderline superstar in NBA history. Yeah. you got Sabonis, who was just finished his rookie year, and Victor Oladipo, who was just a guy. Exactly. Since then, both of those guys made multiple, each of them made multiple All Star teams. So.
0: Yeah, and the bonus looks like a franchise guy.
1: Yeah, and then, you know, they fleeced the Suns and got TJ Warren and the 31st pick in the draft for cash. Um, they moved all the depot at a good time to bring on Chris LaVerse. Like, they've done an excellent job for a small market. Like, I know that how Nate Bjorker last year, and I get the idea, okay, bring him from the Nick Nurse tree, as Nick Nurse is one of the better coaches in the NBA. Mm-hmm. But we recognize, okay, these guys don't want to play for him. Filed him right away. Brought in one of the better coaches and most experienced coaches in the NBA in Rick Carlisle. Like, just for a small market, I've loved everything the Pacers have done. And I, maybe I have not too low for that. But again, given that you're in Indiana, you need to make flawless moves. They brought in Crystal a win now guy, like. And right now, injuries is the biggest problem with Brogdon and LaVert and TJ Warren. All three of those guys are obviously injury problems. Yeah. But, healthy with Caldwell as a coach, they're going to be a dangerous team if they could ever get
0: there. I agree. I have them more in the middle of the pack. I like the moves that they've made in terms of the positive. I think that, you know, kind of them just hanging around. Not for lack of anything on their part they've offered moves they just haven't been accepted um looking at you Philadelphia but also like um you know sorting out that um Miles Turner um DeMontis Sabonis front court conundrum if it is one it's going to be key to where they go um in my opinion but definitely like where they've been um and yeah you just hope that I don't know I mean some team has to be in the middle of the pack and for me the Pacers were just that team you know just like going the middle of the
1: pack usually in the NBA thing
0: exactly exactly <laughs>
1: Okay, then my last guy in this tier was R.C. Buford for the Spurs. Again, I, I, I wasn't going to give a Lifetime Achievement Award. I know he drafted Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker, where he did. I know he got Kawhi, and, and the Kawhi trade. Not only did he get Kawhi for George Hill, he also acquired the rights of Dallas Plotons. So, like, he knows what he's doing. Like. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not giving out lifetime kind of achievement awards. I'm only trying to do the last few years what they've done. And even with the late picks I've had, DeJounte Murray, Derek White, Keldon Johnson, he's done a phenomenal job. But he hasn't hit that home run that a lot of the other guys in front of him have made recently.
0: Yes, that's true.
1: And, and again, I wasn't a big fan of the Kawhi trade. I mean, I get your San Antonio, you made the past 22 straight years. Getting DeRozan and Yaka Podol is okay. I mean, yeah, you're getting an all-star back, and your San Antonio, you've been competitive forever. So I get it. But, again, that's why I only rank them 13th, and, but I did put him at the top of this tier.
0: No, I agree with you completely there. I think you look at the moves they made over the last couple of years, what's been most concerning to me is that they don't seem to be fully heading for a rebuild, but with the roster they've been churning out, they definitely haven't been playoff-worthy rosters. Um, they've been more play-in-worthy in my opinion, and we saw kind of what's happened there. Uh, The DeRozan trade for San Antonio I thought was okay. Definitely figured you could have got a lot more for Kawhi, especially seeing what he's been uh, more recently uh, than you did, but Jacoperto's been a piece, and DeMar DeRozan definitely had some solid years there. Didn't necessarily translate to great team success, but definitely look at that as interesting at best. Um, They just seem to be kind of treading water, and I think it's disappointing for a San Antonio team that doesn't seem to know where it is now after the Big Three era.
1: Yeah, and again, I, I don't know how much to fault him for the Kawhi trade because, yes, Kawhi Leonard was one of the best players in the NBA at that point, but at that time, he had a Finals MVP. Um, he was a top 10 player in the NBA. That's but,
0: what I mean, yeah. And DeRozan was at best top 20, top 25.
1: Yeah, but Kawhi missed almost the entire year of the year before. He was acting out against the locker room. Um not like I'm saying everyone knows is in a locker room problem, but he was on an expiring deal, and everyone said, okay, I'll be really going to give up all of this just for a rental. And at the time, I thought that I was positive the Sixers were getting Kawhi Leonard because of his ties with Brett Brown at the time. And, you know, the Sixers had—I thought the Spurs were going to take, like, a Robert Covington, Dario Saric, and a, maybe a first-round pick or two for Kawhi, given that mm-hmm. he was on expiring. Obviously, I was off about that, and they ended up getting more. They still got an all-star guy with multiple years on his deal. But nobody, everyone knew Kawhi wanted to be in L.A., so they didn't want to give up a whole slew for a rental. And again, the Sixers did end up trading Dario Saric and Covington, just like I said they would, for a star, which was Jimmy Butler, rather than Kawhi. So I wasn't too far off on that. Um, But yeah, so... That's why I feel like Kawhi kind of back is supposed to do a corner a little bit, that they said, okay, we have Aldridge, maybe we could sell our fans on Rosen and Aldridge pairing, and again, with the picks they've had in the low 20s with DeJounte Murray and Derek White and Kelton Johnson, they've done okay.
0: I'll agree with that. I'll agree with that. I get you. I thought that if the – and I don't know – I have to look back. I don't know if this is rumored or if there was some, like, actual smoke to that fire, but, like, if the Lakers had had an offer for their young guys – for Kawhi and a couple of first-round picks, that kind of godfather offered that they end up throwing to AD, I would have just taken that. Yeah,
1: they, but, what, like, yeah.
0: yeah but I get you. And at the end of the day, I just feel like, as, as much as his value depreciated, in terms of Kawhi, I don't think it depreciated to the point that that's the best you could have gotten.
1: No, I agree, and that's why I stole so it to be knocked I'm just, again, giving... So no, not. you you're, Yeah,
0: no, you're doing right. <laughs> you're getting the positives there, and I totally agree with you there. I, I, I'm i I'm right there with you. I had them just a little bit lower, but that's because I was a little more of a negative, Nancy, and I can admit that.
1: <laughs> okay, so my next is my tier three, my nine, 10, 11, and 12. 12th, I have Zach Kleiman from the Memphis Grizzlies. 11th, I have the Orlando Magic led by John Hammonds. 10th, I have the Nets led by Sean Marks. And 9th, I have John Horst, who leads the Milwaukee Bucks. So 12th, I feel like I might have been a little bit low with Memphis because I love, in my eyes, the Grizzlies could do no wrong. In drafting and player development, just in every moves they made, they got John Moran, they got Jaron Jackson Jr., they got last year Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman and Kieran Tilly when they had no first-round picks going into the draft. I mean, they got De'Anthony Melton for eating Josh Jackson. Like, they just, they... Are phenomenal at what they they had the grid and grind reiteration of the team with Marcus all Mike Conley. Did a great job with both of them with getting Unis and Delone Wright with um Borges all, flipping Delone Wright in the signing trade, then Mike Conley, you know, you got um Grayson Allen, some other pieces of first round pick. Like the Grizzlies just they've played everything perfectly, and because of that I think John Moran and John Jackson one day will both be top 20 players in the NBA, if John Moran's not already. And I just, again, love Desmond Bain, love Jacob Tillman, Brandon Clark. I'm sure he's fallen out of favor there, but they'll flip him for another great asset. Like, they just know what they're doing there.
0: No, I can agree with you there for sure. Um, I think that the Grizzlies have made a measured steady uh, approach to the way that they've re- re- rebuilt this team like you said acquiring young guys specifically in terms of a um john Morant that i love and a guy in um jaren jackson jr who i hope can definitely ascend to the levels that you know people hope that he gets to for sure um they haven't gotten ahead of themselves i think they've been you know steadily just taking in young pieces and growing them together making moves around the margins that make sense and yeah, I'm with you. I actually have them in a very similar tier as you.
1: And you could tell – you, I like what you said, not getting ahead of themselves.
0: You could tell they're not doing that by the Steven Adams and
1: Valanciunas swap. They wanted Zio Williams at number 10. Yeah. So they, they flipped the 17th pick and Unis for the 10th pick at Stephen Adams, and then, you know, um, they also got an additional second rounder, whatever. Like, they're still building for the future while being realistic about their present. And that's yeah. what a small market needs to do, and they're doing a phenomenal job at it.
0: Definitely, you you took the words out of my mouth, man. That's that's perfect, and that's why I have them where they are. Very steady, very solid uh, franchise management so far.
1: Okay, then number eleven. I said uh, the Orlando Magic again. I gave John Hammond some credit because, as I said, he drafted Giannis in Milwaukee. He traded, got Chris Middleton as a throw-in in the um, Brandon Jennings trade. Um. I mean, he's just done so many good moves. He selected Malcolm Brogdon for the box. And, you know, I think he has done a great job with Orlando. Like, he got Marco Forster almost nothing as a reclamation project. And, well, yeah, he got Orlando in playoffs back-to-back years to give the fans something. He said, okay, clearly we didn't rebuild correctly the first time. Let's do it right this time. Traded Vucevic. Got Franz Wagner. Got Jalen Suggs. Got additional picks. Traded Aaron Gordon. Like, he just recognized, okay, we gotta get out of seventh, eighth seed in the East Purgatory mm-hmm. and do this the right way. Clearly he knows, okay, Orlando didn't do it right the first time. I'm gonna do it right the same way I did in a walk.
0: No, I'm with you. And you know you are the type in terms of having that, that athleticism, having that length. Um, I wasn't the biggest fan of Franz Wagner, but at the same I time. Yeah. Okay. Good. I'm glad we agree on that. But at the same time, so far he has been solid. I can't knock that. I was hopeful. I was definitely hoping they would uh, target more um uh, Moses Moody. But yeah. you know, in, in getting a guy in in Wagner, so far so good. Um, Jalen Suggs coming along. Uh, definitely like that he fell to them. And you're right. They kind of have decided to go with the rebuild, and they seem to be doing a decent job. I guess most of my issues would more than likely just be toward the fact that I didn't like the return that they got uh for Evan Fournier specifically as a guy who also, you know, was kind of right up there with uh Rooch in terms of leading um the magic to Yep, yeah, subpar playoff contention, but at the same time I just thought that was a lot better than just uh second round pick it and just throw away. Like that just didn't make that that just didn't make any sense to me there. But um with that being said, yeah, so far, I like where they're going, and I think that it's going to take maybe another year, or two or three years down the line to see what they fully become. But the the, the, stu- the stepping stones are there for a solid um, return, hopefully, to uh, contention for Orlando.
1: Yeah, and they saw some pieces they could sell off. I mean, Gary Harris will be tough to salary match because he makes $20 million. Yeah. I mean, Terrence Ross, I feel like they're holding out for either a pretty decent young guy and a second-round pick or a straight-up first-round pick and... They'll take whatever contract on with him. Um, so they still definitely have some moves to be made. I'm interested to see what they're doing with Mark Hill when he comes back, given they have Paul Anthony and Jalen Suggs and RJ Hampton. And then they're starting Mo Bombo, Wendell Carter Jr. together, and Jonathan Isaacs going to be back sooner rather than later. So I'm excited to see, you know, what they do with all these young pieces. And that more goes to the coaching with what Jamal Mosley is going to do. But mm-hmm. overall, like, they rebuilt quickly. They they said, Okay, screw it, we'll trade any boost. They won't go trade Boost just so they got a package up, threw them away, and then Chicago gave them that eighth pick and Wendell Carter and another future first, they said, Okay, screw this. Flipped Aaron Gordon for RJ Hampton, Gary Harrison a pick. Flipped Evan Fournier for two seconds. Like they just they just they acted quick and it's working. So good for them for recognizing what they gotta do and going all in and getting all the guys to buy in as well.
0: Yeah. No, Lily have nothing to jump in on that aside from agreeing with you there. Okay. That's not
1: number ten out of the Brooklyn Nets and Sean Marks. Um I went a little further back for them just because okay, yeah, they got KD Kyrie. It doesn't matter if (laughs) really was the owner or not the um it really doesn't matter who's the front officer. KD and Kyrie were set on going to the Nets.
0: That's true. That's true.
1: I'm not gonna you know and then obviously the Harden trade I gab like he did beat Daryl Mori out for the Sixers, so kudos to him. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I'm going as far back as when they traded Thad Young for the pick to take Chris LaVert. That was a great move. They got Joe Harris and Spencer Dinwiddie literally off the scrap heap and turned them into players on reasonable contracts for what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, drafted Jaron Allen at 20. That was a great pick. Like, he's I didn't like when they traded the 19th pick for Ranger Shaman in that three way trade where Luke Kennard went to the Clippers and then they could have had Sadiq Bay instead of the Pistons. But yeah. they got Bruce Brown for virtually nothing. Like, I've done, I've, I have done superstars aside, I have liked a lot of things that Nets have done in the player development and the moves that Sean Marks has made. So that's why I have them as a top 10 in front office.
0: Yeah, no, I actually had them a little bit higher. Um, I had them top five, and I agree with everything you said. I think that I gave them probably a little more credit to KD and Kyrie going there, but the reason I did that is because, look, like, of course, a lot of factors that come into play – um, when a superstar decides to join your team, I think that having a, front, a stable front office, seeing that the way that Brooklyn has kind of built their guys and, and, and started this culture, that yes, eventually Kyrie and KD will totally take over, but they were enamored to Brooklyn, in my opinion, for the front office stability, in as much as they were for the appeal of playing together with a team that had cast base in a nice locale. So I definitely like the fact that they were able to kind of build from the ground up, you know, starting with. You go back to bringing in Jeremy Lin and D'Angelo Russell and moving up that way and progression, Kenny Atkinson and building this culture of guys and really starting to then enable yourself to be a franchise that's appealing to uh, a couple of uh, a couple of, of, of top tier NBA players. For, in my mind, a little bit more than just yeah, like. I'm Katie Kyrie, I wanted to choose to play there, but also because, okay, I see what you do, I like that what you've been doing, I can trust that with us going over there, you will make the moves necessary to equip us with solid players, whether that be in the draft, as you see they've done with a guy like uh, Jared Allen at first, and Nick Claxton, at the time, Karis LeVert, guys like that, like, they can trust that this management, this front office, will make the right moves to kind of build a contender around them. And I think that they've done just that. So um totally on on board with them. I also, just like you, went just a little bit farther than Katie and Kyrie, but it only helped um, kind of boost their value in my eyes.
1: And there was that whole Tory and Prince trade where they got off of Tory and Prince in a first in order to make the cash case, knowing Katie and Kyrie was a possibility. So yep. they still had to, you know, he still had to jump through salary at Gymnastics in order to make that work, so exactly for being able to get you know three top fifteen to twenty guys in the NBA you said so okay, number nine, I have John Horse for the box, and I know they just won a championship, and kudos to him for that bottom line is he made a trade in Drew Holiday that could have been the worst trade in NBA history with the amount of assets they gave up if you if Last year didn't walk out, and they didn't win at all. Giannis could have walked. Drew Holiday could have walked. And then they'd be left with nothing, with no picks to build off of. It was a huge gamble. And, again, it paid off. So he's, I still have them as a top-ten front office in the NBA because they were able to keep Giannis there. But it could have been such a disaster. But shout-out mm-hmm. to them for, you know what, they got it done. Nothing else matters. It's going to go down instead of one of the worst trades in NBA history as one of the best.
0: That's true. That's true. They're also another team I actually had to want to bury the lead with the Bucks, but I have them very, very high, um, just in terms of the way they've been able to not only cultivate homegrown t- talent, but also maximize um, undervalued assets and trades, make swings on big targets in the trade market, find good quality free agent signings, all bring that together for a championship team. I have the Bucs at the, at, the t- at the top of the top.
1: Okay. So then let's go to my tier two, and that's teams five six seven and eight all right eight, i have the atlanta hawks led by travis Swank, who used to be golden state's assistant gm under bob myers yep. Seven. i have the denver nuggets led by tim connelly six out of the philadelphia 76ers led by daryl morey and number five i have the golden state Warriors led by bob myers so the hawks at this point i talked about this on my other podcast the hawks are probably in the best position to acquire a superstar the next superstar becomes available more than any other team in the NBA. Between DeAndre Hanno, Cam Reddish, salary matching with Bogdan or Danilo Gallinari, Clint Capella, John Collins, Cam Reddish, Onyeka Okonbu, Jalen Johnson, Sharif Cooper. They have so many good young chief guys and they're so deep that, and they have all their picks. So they are just in such good position and what Travis Schlank has done I mean he got from Capella for virtually enough for a Nets first round pick that going down to that Torian and Prince trade I talked about. They got yep. for virtually nothing. They got the ball well with their congu. They you they had the most cap space in the NBA two years ago and got Bogdan, got Gallinari. Again, the Lou Williams trade where they got two second second-round picks to get Vitagondo to get Lou Williams. Like they just have done no wrong in the past few years. No. So, I mean, they they they, they just don't – he's done phenomenal.
0: Yeah, they just have. Like you said, you have young pieces that are either going to grow together and become the next – I mean, look at what they did last year. Or you can take those pieces and, and, and shop them if there are a duplication of skill sets and whatever the case may be, Um, or if you just don't want to pay those guys as time comes for them which, to be extended.
1: Which I'm excited to see what's going to happen because – they're going to be expensive fast. Like yep, that's... Deontre, yep. Young just got his extension. DeAndre Hunter's going to have to get his. They just extended John Collins and Capella. Um Cam Reddish, I figure, unless he's going to take a really team-friendly deal, you're going to have to get rid of him because you just don't have enough room for all these guys. Exactly. Um, guys. So, I'm just... I'm very excited. Oh, Kong Wu, I wonder what you're going to do with him. if you Kevin Herder
0: just got brought back.
1: Yeah, Kevin Herder is another one who they drafted and extended. So... I I'm going to be very interested to see what they do with what they have, because the, there's going to have to be multiple moves to be made to keep the band together. So I'm excited to see excited. what that move is.
0: Yeah, and that's going to, I'm, I can't wait. It's going to see where they kind of lined up in future rankings, you know, for kind of how they make these moves. Right now, they set themselves up in a heck of a situation where the competitive team – that can make some noise in the playoffs while still being mad young, nowhere near their prime, um, and with the superstar talent at the very top. So definitely on board with them. In fact, I'm in tandem with all those teams you mentioned, with exception of the Sixers, who I was a little more down on because of the Ben Simmons conundrum um, specifically.
1: Okay, let's talk about that then. We'll go back to Denver since out of them, seven out of the six or six.
0: But, Me too.
1: Okay, Daryl Morey I appreciate because I feel like Alan Van was still at the helm. We saw the pandemics he made. Jimmy Butler and Ben Simmons clearly didn't get along. Jimmy Butler and Draymond Brown clearly didn't get along. They picked Ben and Dredd over Jimmy, uh, allegedly. Mm-hmm. So he made a panic move, signed Al Horford, which didn't make a whole lot of sense next to Embiid. Um signed Tobias Harris to an albatross. He kind of panicked. Mm-hmm. Alvin Grant, mm-hmm. if he was still at the helm, he would have had Ben Simmons gone a few weeks after the playoffs ended. So Daryl Morey, I appreciate him being patient saying, like, Daryl Morey he came here. Was able to get off of Wolford's terrible contract, for only a first. Brought in Danny Green, who is a starter on a championship contender. Was yeah. able to bring in Seth Curry for Josh Richardson, which I have no clue how he pulled that off. <laughs> Jack Scott, he got Maxie, got Isaiah Joe, got Paul Reed. I didn't love his draft this year, but
0: yeah, me, he's,
1: me he he was able to re-sign Korkmaz, who's phenomenal this year, for only $15 million over three years. Got George Niang for two years, $6 million. I think he's done a phenomenal job since he's gotten here. And I appreciate him knowing, okay, Embiid's in his prime. I know what we have. We need another All-Star if we don't want to waste Embiid's prime. So I appreciate him holding out, waiting for that offer, and, you know, not pressing the panic button like most GMs on the support have done.
0: You know what, man? I, I know you're a Sixers fan, right? I mean, but, like, somehow you were – I don't know if it's the passion of being a Sixers fan or just, like, just the depth of knowledge that you just sprung like that, but you're completely convinced to be. Like, I was like, yeah, I don't know, but, like, you brought up the gap, like, yeah, yeah, all right, all right. I'm on board. You got me. Yeah, they, they, Moore, they're up there. Daryl Morey, I have the
1: most respect for out of every um, executive in the NBA because when Golden State had that dynasty, aside from Cleveland – who just had a cakewalk through the East every year, so it was easy for them. He dared to compete with them, and he almost beat them had because Paul not pulled his hamstring in that one, uh, I'm game not sure what it away, but game game sets, was, but when he was up Two, when they were about to win, they would have won that year. He was the only one who dared compete with Golden State. I mean, he took Patrick Beverly out of the Euro League, and took, brought him over, turned him into a legit NBA player. He found Danielle House off the scrap heap. He, I, he's just done. So many great moves. He drafted Clint Capella, drafted Montres Harrell in the second round, who I know he flipped Montres Harrell in the Chris Paul trade, but he's just, he, he, I, he's flawed. He can't do wrong. Every move he <laughs> seems Not to, work. Wrong. and I don't like the James Springer draft pick. I didn't like the Charles Bassie draft pick, but again, he's, he just, he knows what to do. He almost got James Harden. I know he didn't. But he was going to be Ben Simmons before it became a disaster. Like, he just, he makes every move. Like, he makes just the small marginal moves like the Patrick Beverly's and the Foucault Corkmasters
0: and the George Niangs, that help you compete for a championship. But wasn't he the one who didn't make the Ben Simmons trade for James Harden? Allegedly. that has to be a knock. Allegedly, Toman Fatida
1: didn't want to trade Harden to Daryl Morey after Daryl Morey left them, knowing they were going to That's a That's the reports coming out of Philly, that they did, that one, Tom and Fetita deprived himself of getting the best asset in the trade, because they still would have gotten the same picks from us, plus Ben Simmons, instead of all the depot. So they would have yeah. gotten the same amount of picks, same amount of swaps, and they would have gotten Ben Simmons over all the depot. So clearly, you know, they knew what the best package was, but Tom and Fetita didn't want to Deal with Daryl Morey and
0: give him that satisfaction. That's what came out of film. If it's from the Houston, if it's if if that's the case then for, then I totally am with you on that. I just I remember some stuff coming out from both sides, I guess. I was like, eh, I don't know. Like if you are rating Ben Simmons that highly, like that's a not playing symbol. But if if that's the case, then I'm totally with you on that for sure. Um yeah, I mean these are solid moves. I, I in retrospect, maybe you wouldn't have done the the Russell Westbrook for Chris Paul trade, but if that was indeed said by James Harden, then Maury didn't really have any control over that, then I guess, yeah, there's not really a whole lot to knock about him.
1: Yeah. So, again, I I have him in tier two, but he's just about top of the class when it comes to executives. So, number seven out of the Denver Nuggets with Tim Connolly, I mean, I went as far back as then drafting Jokic 41 overall, Um, drafted Jamal Murray, drafted MPJ, Drafted Malik Beasley, then flipped him before they had to pay him. They traded for Jeremy Grant a few years ago for a late first round pick. Got Monte Morris in the late seconds. Knew he was good enough to extend him. And now obviously with Jamal Murray out, he's the starting point guard. I mean, they'll just, they're like Memphis. They're just so good at player development and so good at just talent evaluation. Mm -hmm. And it's shown. Like if Jamal Murray was playing this year, I think Denver would, would have been the favorites in the West. But again, I mean, yeah. people weren't anticipating MPJ getting off to the silver stars, but they they they're phenomenal.
0: No, you make an excellent point. You make an excellent point. Their their talent evaluation has been key on um, the way they're able to rebound, even with the loss of Jamal Murray. I think was huge. Um you know, you couldn't have told me anything about uh, Facundo Camposo and Austin Rivers winning a playoff series together. And, yeah, a lot of that on the greatness of Nicole Jokic, but a lot of that also just being as good as they are. So, um, in this in this team scheme, rather. So, yeah, I definitely like the moves they made. Um, They have themselves positioned for a lot of success, potentially, when Jamal Murray returns. And you really can't knock any of that. They were top five from you, just outside of top five.
1: Yeah, and number five, I have Bob Miles and the Golden State Warriors. I mean, he... Bob Miles was the assistant GM when they drafted Draymond. Oh no, he he was the GM when they drafted Draymond. He was the assistant GM when they drafted Clay Thompson. Um, he's the one who hired Steve Kerr, who obviously revolutionized basketball and started a dynasty. He could have traded Clay Thompson, who had a ton of potential at the time, wasn't quite yet an All Star, for Kevin Love. They chose not to do it because of the presence of both Clay of what he would become, and you know, Caleb would have taken away from Draymond Green. The Steve Kerr hire obviously is nothing to scoff at. I he might have been number one if they had drafted the Melo ball over James Wiseman because I was so down on James Wiseman. He was like eleventh on my big ball last year. I knew that you mm-hmm. know Lamelo was the guy to take. And when Clay tore his Achilles, you always take best player available for the most part. But when you saw Clay tore his Achilles last year it was going to be up for the year. That was the perfect opportunity to take Lamelo Ball over a center. Yeah, like centers and to State is a team that doesn't value the center position. They are the center position least in any other team in the NBA, so I don't know why they took James
0: Wiseman. I I I knocked them. Heav- I mean, I didn't knock them heavily. They're in my top five. I had them number seven. Um, I knocked them just because of that fact, like the fact that James- the town evaluation for Wiseman at the top when Lamelo, the 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 potential of him was just so huge in my opinion. Um, was not super great, especially as we know centers are now in this NBA outside of well at least Evan Mobley so far. Um, but also I just didn't, that 2020 season in general, basically a waste of, I mean, Seth got injured for sure, but come on, our team wasn't really set to, to, to contend. And the, the year after, you know, you adjust a little bit, you bring Kelly Oubre, but even, and, and bringing, um, Andrew Wiggins as well, um, after, you know, flip, after bringing in D'Angelo Russell to begin with, but even at that point, like the team that was there, I just think was a waste. Yeah, I mean,
1: D'Angelo Russell, they more brought in with the intent to flip him. And, of again, course. they got the seventh pick in the draft out of it and got Jonathan Kaminga. So we'll see what he becomes. And that's then true. the pick they took, Moses Moody. I just – I can't – imagine if they have the Melo right
0: that's, that's, that hard that's to, It's hard exactly. to not think about that.
1: And it was such an obvious pick. And
0: – I they, mean, I'll, I'll go hot take with you, man. I'll go hot take with you. I would have rather even had Anthony Edwards over James Wiseman.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think they will by far, the two best guys. I actually had Kieran Hayes number two on my big board, but I think those three were far away the best guys in that class. And James Wiseman, just for a team that plays small ball and plays best as Draymond at center, they drafted for need, and that's not what you do at the top of the draft. No. And, no. Lame- like, if they had LaMelo, they might have had another dynasty with LaMelo, Kaminga, Moody, Steph in his golden years, Clay in his golden years, Draymond, like, they just would have had such versatility.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It would have been scary. They
0: would
1: have. It, just, it was such an easy decision, and they overthought it and, you know, made the wrong decision.
0: <laughs> Ultimately, that's exactly what happened. Okay. I really agree with
1: you. So now here's my tier one, which is my top four. All number,
0: right.
1: Number four, I have the Utah Jazz led by Dennis Lindsay. Number three, I have the Toronto La- Raptors led by Masai Ujiri. Number two, I have the Miami Heat led by Pat Riley. Number one, I have the OKC Thunder led by Sam Presti. So Utah Utah built a championship team in a small market led by a 27th pick in the draft who looked like he couldn't play basketball and he went to the draft combine and a 13th pick in the draft with, you know, an undrafted guy in Joe Ingles, an undrafted guy in Royce O'Neal. Like, they got Mike Mike Conley for almost nothing. And that was really the only time they traded for a star. They revived Jordan Clarkson. Like, they've just done such a phenomenal job without their... Like the epitome of a team for the reason you shouldn't tank. Because you can continue to be competitive and still build a championship team with late picks like Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell and finding undrafted guys like Joe Ingles and Royce O'Neill. Like, they'll be the anti process. And for that, yeah. I mean, like, I know they haven't got John playoffs and they might not be equipped to ever win a championship as long as Rudy Gobert is there. But. I mean, best record in the NBA last year with basically bailing any lottery picks, not Mitchell was 13th. Like, it's it's just amazing what they've done.
0: No, it has been very solid from top to bottom. Um, I have the Jazz personally number two in mind, so I'm okay. right there with you. They've just done a really good job of, again, cultivating the talent they've had, developing together, making moves around the edges that are smart, and work together with the overall theme of this team. And the success has mostly shown, at least until it gets to the playoffs.
1: Yeah. And again, I don't have a whole bunch else to say. They usually don't sign a whole slew of free agents. I know they brought in Bursch about dying a few years ago. They brought in Rudy Gay mm-hmm. but This was their I most think. active
0: offseason, I'd say, in a while.
1: Yeah. Every move they make is very calculated. Make sure it fits with the team. Like they just do a phenomenal job at team building, and it works. So, number three are the Toronto Raptors. I think they might have had the worst offseason out of every team in the NBA, which is, Masai mm. Jerry is the cream of the crop. I completely understand that. Yeah. But, I mean, they took Fred Van Vliet, signed him as an undrafted free agent, turned him into what he is. Chris Boucher, they signed him off a two-way from Golden State, turned him into what he is. Tame Davis, same thing, undrafted guy. Um, OG and OB, Pascal Siakam, they both developed into what they became. They did the Kawhi trade, which brought them a championship. They still got something in the Kyle Lowry signing trade. but I feel they could have gotten more at the trade deadline last year. And again, I think eating Goran Dragic's salary in that signing trade was terrible. Like Miami, when they brought in Jimmy Butler in the signing trade, they had to move off Josh Richardson and Hassan Whiteside. Yeah, The sisters didn't say, okay, fine, we'll take Whiteside's contract and Josh Richardson to get Josh Richardson. They said, you figure it out. If you want Jimmy Butler... We'll, we'll take Josh Richardson, but you figure out how to move the rest of the money because we're not taking it because we're signing out Hawford. So exactly. thought, Okay, Whiteside, you're going to Portland. Toronto could have easily did the same thing. Fine. Dragic wants to be in Dallas. You find a way to get him there. We're not going to take on Dragic's contract. We'll take Preston Zachua, a young center that's going to be our starter. We'll take him. But, you know, give us a first-round pick or something instead, and you figure out Dragic. Instead, they yeah. just said – Okay, well, if we won Oshawa, sure, we gotta take Dragic as well. They probably figured they could flip Dragic for a second or something later. But they could have had cash space. They could have had $18 million. And going back to my mock season, I had them throwing all that Dragic money at Taylor Ward, and Horton Tucker to the point where the Lakers couldn't have matched. Another guy who fits their timeline well. And even not him, another young guy that they could have gotten. They clearly had interest in Horton Tucker because they wanted him in the Lowry sign trade. Dragic already fell out of their rotation there. The speculation, they're going to flip him for Dwight Powell to Dallas and have a fourth center on the roster. They'll still have the worst center rotation in the NBA. It just, it just, it did not make sense to me. So, you make,
0: mm-hmm. you make excellent yeah, points.
1: Yeah, and then firing Dwayne Casey after he winning coach of the year, that took a lot of cojones, and they knew Nick Nurse, okay, he's the next big up-and-coming thing, and they executed that. So, again, they've done so many things right, but this offseason, for a rebuilding team, they just could have got – they could have gotten and Taylor and Warden Tucker or somebody along those lines instead of Drajek. And they would have even been in a better position with all the young assets than they are now. So, again, it's nitpicking at this point when we get to the top, but that's what you got to do to determine the top from number three in the league.
0: No, and it's valid. It's valid. Why are you doing them favors to get a player who doesn't fit your roster that you're going to eventually have to move anyway and hopefully get and, – and I, mean, I mean, hopefully get something even close to the return – that you might have had before that. Because then they're you're not saying, even
1: playing him. Yeah. If he yeah. Was in the rotation, he started the first one or two games of the year, he already fell in favor for Delano Banton. So
0: Exactly. And, and you're talking about, again with with the guy who let's let's face it. If you had um if you had made those moves, let's say you had told Miami, hey, figure it out about like Goran's Rockage. then with that money you get, like you said, Taylor Tucker, another guy. You're not going to get that out of any transaction you make involving Goran Dragic this season. Like, that that opportunity, theoretically or not, no longer exists. And all for what? Because you wanted to do something that you didn't have to do? Didn't really make a whole lot of sense. I'm I'm glad you pointed that out because thinking about that more, you're right. I mean, I didn't understand that to begin with, but also now knowing or now remembering maybe that, hey, this is something that you kind of just end up doing for, what, at at best, theoretical goodwill? (laughs) You know, like, I'm not really sure the reason. Dragic didn't fit. He was fading last year.
1: Yeah, it's tough to be critical of some of these guys because they know. They're the ones that talk to agents. They're the ones that know what's available with our cat space. And, of course. Jerry's, like, he's a genius. Like, he clearly saw, okay, we're not going to get anything better from our cast space. Let's just get this deal done to get Ochoa, and then we'll put Dodger for a second rounder or whatever later. But, I mean, you. I don't know. I just can't picture the Lakers matching a 4-for-64 for Taylor and Horton Tucker if they let Caruso walk for 8-0 a year or whatever it was, for the mid-level exception. So, again, it's nitpicking at this point, but, again, I wasn't in the Raptors' war room. I don't know what else they could have gotten with that cap space. But,
0: but theoretically, more than what they'll end up getting.
1: Yes. That, in my opinion, yes. Um, yeah, number so two, I have pad the Miami Heat. I mean, he's been there a long time, so, again, I tried – looking at the last few years, getting Kendrick Nunn out of the G League, getting Duncan Robinson on a two-way, and then getting him a contract, drafting Bam Bio with 13, drafting Tyler Hero with 13. You sold high on Josh Richardson knowing that it was the beginning of the end, and he always finds a way to get a star. He got in Jimmy Butler in a signing trade. He got Kyle Lowry in a signing trade. He built a culture where guys want to go there, and they force their way there even without cap space. And now, you know, they have a legitimate big three with Duncan Robinson, with Tyler Hero. They're not even going to go that deep into luxury tax with those guys. They extended Jimmy four more years, which Jimmy Butler at age 35, 36, that contract could be a disaster. But, I mean, he's looking at the Monsters right now. So if they end up winning a championship next year or two, it's not going to matter. But I like the combination of young guys and old guys with Lowry and Jimmy. And then you have Bam, Hero, Robinson is somewhere in the middle. Like, I, I just like the roster construction of this team and everything they build. And they buy, they buy guys and sign guys that fit into that heat culture. Like, yeah. I don't want to be Tyler Hero or, I don't know, I knew Preston wasn't there anymore, but any young guy in that roster after a loss with PJ Tucker and Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry, like, I don't want to be a young guy in that roster, in that locker room after a loss, like, they get guys that bind to that heat culture, and they do a phenomenal job of that.
0: Yeah. No, you, 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 made, you, you made an excellent point. I was going to say what struck me most was the fact that they were able to commit to the culture with these win-now players but still have these young guys who can maybe kind of take over, down the stretch, we'll have to see what Tyler Hero is. He definitely talked a good game about him being on the same tier as some of his uh, his uh, better counterparts from his draft class. But, you know, you you extend, you keep Duncan Robinson, you're able to go back and, and, and extend uh, Guy in Jimmy Brother, who I'm not sure if I like that tail end of that contract, but so far, so good. He's playing an MVP candidate so far. Kyle Lowry's playing solidly. Bam out of bio. You have guys who all come together in a way that makes sense and still fits that kind of grind-down mentality on the defensive end with just enough offense to kind of get you back.
1: Yeah, and again, so far it's working. So it's just – it's phenomenal what Riley does in order to get guys mm-hmm. in the building. Like, he sells them, and they buy in. And that's a skill. That's a talent. Like, that's why he ha- – I rank him number two in the NBA.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: No. And n- number one, I have the OKC Thunder. This one I did go back just because of the history of what Sam Festi's done – I mean, mm-hmm. he drafted Kevin Durant, drafted Russell Westbrook, drafted James Harden, drafted Sabonis, drafted Steven Adams, drafted Ibaka. Like, it just seems like they're always hitting home runs. And if you look back at his moves, he basically turned Serge Ibaka into Shade Yorgos-Alexander, three first and three swaps. Because they flipped SGA, or excuse me, they flipped Ibaka into Oladipo and a pick. They used that pick to take Sabonis. Flipped Oladipo and Sabonis into Paul George, then flipped Paul George into that huge package. Like, he's just always one step ahead. They In that Paul George trade, they had Danilo Gallinari in the building, and they had him flip to Miami for another first-round pick. But Gallinari couldn't, you know, come to an agreement on on an extension with Miami because Miami wanted to retain cap space in case Giannis didn't sign an extension. So, as a result, Miami settled for Iggy. They could have gotten both, but they settled for Iggy Dollar. And, you know, but they could have gotten another first for Gallinari at the time. They got a first for Schroeder, like, and then they ate Campbell's contract, got another first. They now accumulate, I think it's 35 firsts, or 35 overall picks in the next seven drafts. I think 18 of them were being first-rounders. So it's just phenomenal what he's done. Like, he's done the process way better than Sam Hanky ever did with the amount of assets he's gotten. And, you know, he's clearly shown he could— He's a great talent evaluator for could put together a championship team, and now he's doing that again. He's in the process of starting that over. I know they never won, but he did have. He's had. He drafted three MVPs, and yes. he's drafted four All Stars. So he's he going, made
0: the moves to get in the picture. Yeah, that's true. I didn't have the number one ultimately, just because I do want to see how this rebuild shakes out, and I didn't um, to go. I, I guess from where they went in terms of russell westbrook chris paul and then to like that was amazing um i just want to see how the rest of this kind of comes out and so i put them more in the middle and it was of course of no fault of um pressy's own just because i thought other teams did better he mentioned that my team number one was milwaukee but you gave again excellent points on just the breakdown of assets and how they're not only able to accumulate so many but also parlay the ones that they did get to even a greater return so for that uh, although I'm not going to change them, I definitely am more swayed to your side.
1: It, it takes a special kind of GM to both oversee a rebuild and oversee a team going to the championship. And, Very and Sam true. is one of the few guys. I think Messiah is another one of them. But we, Pat Riley's never bottomed out. Dennis Lindsay's never bottomed out. Bob Myers did take over Golden State when they weren't good. But, I, but like, there's a reason that these guys are always competing for championships. In front offices because they always make the correct moves. And OKC, I know like they're tanking and they're doing what they're doing, but they just they've done a flawless job at what they've done, and they're in position. They got Lou Dort undrafted for nothing. Like they just they they're very calculated, make very good moves, and I'm excited to see what the future holds for them.
0: Yeah, it's gonna be definitely exciting to see that. I mean, I, as a Lakers fan, I've had the, the, the misfortune or privilege, however you look at it, to have watched the Thunder, uh, close hand with two just big comebacks of 19 points and then 26 points, uh, or 26 points and then 19 points against the Lakers. And seeing those guys show out, seeing Josh Gideon's playmaking, seeing Che Gildas Alexander and his just elite one-on-one creation abilities, like, they have some pieces there for sure. And yeah, it's gonna be a, a, just a, a matter of seeing how they continue to grow.
1: Yeah, and again, it takes a special kind of executive to be able to do both of those. He drafted Kevin Durant, drafted Russell Westbrook, drafted James Holden. He might be the only – I don't know what's for sure. He might be the only executive to draft three MVPs.
0: Yeah, I I don't think – offhand, I definitely don't see one. Um, Especially drafting. I'm looking at the Lakers, but a lot of their guys they acquired. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think you're right. At least offhand, this might be the only one or one of the few.
1: Okay. Then – this was a very fun exercise, just like the coaching episode was last week. Yes, sir. As you guys know, I am, um, I am focusing on the front office aspect of the NBA on this podcast to give Hoop a different perspective of the NBA side of things. Obviously, there's a lot more to fancy basketball than just the players, and the numbers they put up, but what goes on behind the scenes, and that's what I'm trying to shed light on. So I hope this was a fun exercise for you guys to listen to. I know we did go just about two hours, so I hope that you guys did fully listen. Listen to the Bird Rights Pod wherever you get your podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Bird Rights Pod. Follow my other podcast, The NBA Goal, um, on Twitter at the underscore NBA Goal. Listen to that wherever you get your podcast. Listen to Corbin's, podcast round ramble also on the hoop network and duncan dynasty follow him on twitter at corbin nba there's two ends in there and yeah corbin anything else to say before we sign off uh
0: aside from thanking you so much for having me on this is a blast definitely a deep dive that i love listening to i hope the listeners do as well uh had a great time with you my man thank you again and. and- yeah, that's it.
1: And for those of you who want to listen to Colvin and I, make sure to listen to Round Ball Ramble. That episode will be recorded right after this one, where we talk about the best and worst off-season moves in the NBA this summer. So if you want more, a little bit of light shed on the front office aspect, then make sure to take a listen to that. Thanks for listening, guys. Probably could have made a little bit more money this summer in Friday. agency. Think you could have got a lot more in the off season. You got a chance to secure the bag. You you secure, it. Man. No question. This has been a Hoop Ball presentation.